For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. It'd be Maxi trying to break free. They circle around. It's Joel. He turns. He fires for three. It's a. It's good. And Bean. He makes his shot. And the Sixers have taken the lead. Joel Bean along the far sideline. And the Sixers take the lead. Point seven to go. The referees are reviewing it. Joel and B turned along the far sideline. The three is counted as good on the court. He makes it 104 101. The three point field goal. Going to play off the. You heard it here last night on 97.3 ESPN. Tom McGinnis on the call. Joel Embiid with the three-point basket as the Sixers in overtime. Knock off the Toronto Raptors and take a commanding three games to none lead. What's going on, everybody? I am your host, Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there, what is up? Oh, man, aesthetically unpleasing. But the Sixers somehow found a way to pull it out behind Joel Embiid's Game 3 winner. We'll play you the Raptors radio call in just a little bit. You're going to want to stick around for that as um, the Raptors sent home down three games to none. Joel Embiid, who obviously... Uh, had a dominating performance last night, specifically in the second half of that game. He had five points at half. He ends up with 33 points in the game and essentially just carried. And we talked about this yesterday. You know, when Ryan and I were going back and forth about what could change in the game, and I basically said if the Sixers are struggling a little bit, if the Sixers are having a tough night from three-point range, and you can't rely on that, that Joel Embiid might have to force some stuff or take more matters into his own hand. In other words, taking some tough shots. And what one of the things we talked about was that I thought Toronto would be a better shot-making team. I thought they would get guys like Siakam hitting fadeaway one-leggers and stuff like that, which they kind of did. They just didn't get enough of them. They got hot at times. They started the game hot. The Sixers got down. They came back. But they never allowed themselves to get too far out of the game. And in that game last night, there's a lot of things for each player that we can go over. But the Sixers again last night shot 41% from three-point range. You know, as bad as the game was, as ugly as it was, as so many things we take a look at, the Sixers' secondary players have to be given praise. Danny Green, everybody's favorite whipping boy. He had three threes, none bigger than the one with like a minute and 45 seconds left in the game where he hits that three. I mean, Danny Green has had a tremendous series. He did have a couple little flubs. He got technical foul, uh, which I thought was weak sauce, by the way. Maxi did not have his best shooting night, but he had moments in the game where he just elevated his play and took the team on his back at times when they seemed to be hitting a little bit of a lull. How about the points 
and the 23 minutes you got a George Niang off the bench last night who was thrusted essentially into a starting role in overtime uh, based on the fact that James Harden fouled out of the game. And then you had Harden. Harden himself, who had 10 assists on the night, he hit two threes. He had a big factor in the first four quarters before he fouled out of the game. And when he fouled out, it went to Embiid shoulders. And Embiid basically just too much, too big, too strong, too everything for the Raptors. And he carries the Sixers to the win. But I want to point out Tobias Harris because he's everybody's favorite whipping boy. And Tobias Harris, I thought what he said after the game is a grown-up moment, a standout moment. I don't know how many people stuck around for the post game and watched Tobias Harris. He was on with Kate Scott and Allah Abdel Nabi on that broadcast last night. And he told them that when my shot wasn't falling and I missed the shot, I mean, Look, I tweeted it out last night. We talk about it all the time. Harris's around-the-rim ability has got to get better. He is a bricklayer around the rim. They should have won that game in, in, in regulation. If Harris just puts it back, they win that game, it's over with, and he's the hero. But what he said was, I was struggling with my shot, so I said, no one's scoring on me the rest of the night. And I thought Harris's defense was a big factor in the game because without the way he played defense, you take a look at the end of the game. Fred Van Vliet, 12 points. Pascal Siakam, 12 points. A lot of times those guys get switched up and they're on Tobias Harris. Gary Trent came back and you saw how much of a difference Trent means for that team. He had 24 in the game. He had four threes. Now, Van Vliet just didn't shoot it well. But if you have Trent and Van Vliet shooting the ball well, that's what makes that team a little tougher. It looks like they're going to get Scotty Barnes back for game number four. So the Raptors, that game last night was imperative because you saw what Trent brings to that team. He brings another level of offense that they just don't have. He's a shot maker. The problem was their other shot makers didn't make shots. Van Vliet and Siakam, their two All-Stars, did not play like All-Stars last night. So much to dive into. I look forward to hearing from you. 609-403-0973. That's the text board. 609-403-0973. Give me your reaction to the game. The Sixers win the series with a win on Saturday. At 2 o'clock, you'll hear that game on 97.3 ESPN. Look, Embiid will get all the accolades. He deserves them, 33 points, 13 rebounds. He had a huge block shot late in the game as well. They basically had to run their offense all night. We talked about this yesterday when Ryan was on, and I talked about if you're not shooting the ball well, you might have to run the offense more through Embiid. Now, they shot the ball 41%. I mean, that's pretty good. But there was a lull in getting, you know, they had to try to get back into that game. And I think they used a lot of energy to get back in that game. And they just couldn't get over the hump. They just couldn't get past them. And when that happened, my gosh, some of the shots and bead hit to get them back in the game were just, when we look back, I don't know where this season's going to end. I don't know how far they're going to take us. But if it goes into something special, 
you're going to remember and beat at the foul line, spinning backwards, fade away from the foul line. You're going to remember the Embiid three-pointer in the fourth quarter. My gosh, that one that he hits on the wing. Embiid had three huge threes last night, including the game winner. You're going to remember the Danny Green three. My gosh, he's down in the corner. And I talked about it. What did I say? I said Harris and Green. I told you to bet the threes on those guys. Now, Harris didn't hit. He only took three threes. But Danny Green had seven three-point attempts last night. I said, if you're going to get seven, can you get me? Actually, I say, if you're going to shoot eight or nine, can you get me two? And he got three of seven last night. Niang, another one. He had four attempts. He hit three. Niang hit some big threes, too. Big moments. Because they were just harassing Embiid. There were times where they were harassing Maxi, And it was like a hot potato. Get the ball out of my hand. Niang would catch it with nobody on him and just bang. Aesthetically unpleasing. But a win nonetheless on the road with the team like the Raptors who know. Look, Nick Nurse, he knows you can't go down 3-0. They threw everything they could last night. And quite frankly... I wasn't all that impressed with their game plan, the Raptors. Their game plan, and I say I'm not impressed, they they kept it similar to the first two, and it's what we talked about on the show the last couple of days. They went in there saying, if you're going to shoot threes and make them, here, I'll shake your hand. And the Sixers just kept stepping up to the three-point line and making them. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. If you're uh, listening on the radio, you can text us there. we got a great show for you today. Scott Spinelli, who is a former college basketball coach, will get his opinion on some of these NBA playoffs, but I want to talk to him. He's coached at BC. Uh, obviously, you heard the news last night. Jay Wright has retired at Villanova. And I definitely want to dive into that a little bit later on in the hour. So Scott will help me with that because he has coached against Jay Wright. He's in the college world. They're a um, uh, Northeast. You know, you're recruiting against Jay Wright. So you'll hear some great stories from Scott on that. The voice of the Sixers, Tom McGinnis, will join me from Canada at 325. As uh, he had a front row seat for the three-pointer last night. We'll get his perspective on the shot how he viewed it, you heard his call, what the energy in that building was like, and then what it was like post-shot. Tom McGinnis was in the building last night. You'll hear that perspective right here on 97.3 ESPN. The coach, Jimmy Lynham, will join me at 5 o'clock tonight. 5 o'clock is the time for the coach, Jimmy Lynham, Tonight on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. So we got you covered on the game from all different perspectives. Coaching perspective, being in that building perspective, and your perspective. 609-403-0973. Tim from Millville. Saturday is going to be a blast, Mike. I'm racing in a mountain bike race, my first one of the season. And then the Sixers are going to sweep Toronto right when I get home. to be a great day. I hope so. At this point now, I, I think you got to go for the haymaker. you got to go for the sweep. Why? Joel Embiid is just carrying this team. He's on the floor. My gosh, it feels like every other trip down the court, he's slip-sliding away on the floor, just hustling, 
falling, flopping, doing whatever. If I could get him a full week off, I think that will be uh, another week for the Sixers to install, put more coaching in. Because speaking of the coach, he had a big factor in that game last night. He called a huge timeout in a moment where whatever play he called in that moment didn't work. That was a horrible possession that essentially left with Embiid one hand shot putting a shot towards the rim. But Doc Rivers comes running out on the court to which Raptors fans are crying foul. They think Doc should have had a technical foul. He ran all the way out on the court to call the timeout. So the Raptors are saying that he left the coaching box and that he should have been given a technical foul on that. Maybe they're right. I'm not here to fight that. But Doc Rivers did something that we rarely see NBA coaches do. You know, run out there, call timeout in the middle of a bad possession. Many times they'll just, especially in a tie game, hey, we have overtime, let's just let the play run its course, we'll get to overtime. Or they were in overtime, we'll go to a second overtime. Doc calls timeout. Now, people forget, because there was only like two seconds left in the game, I think it was like 2.8 seconds left in the game, but there was only .8 seconds left on the shot clock. So he calls the timeout as the shot clock is about to expire. I could see the Doc haters. They're like the Howie Roseman haters. When Roseman does something good, it's like, well, he shouldn't be allowed to fix his own mess. Like Doc Rivers put them in that position. So him calling the timeout, I'm not giving him any credit for that. No, he deserves credit. And guess what? He drew up a great play. He drew up a very good play. Danny Green, the inbounder, he had Nyang and Harris and Maxi running opposite court to which all the defenders followed the three shooters and Embiid slipped off the Harris screen and he got a one-on-one look, not even really one-on-one. He was wide open and the only defender that was near him was Fred Van Vliet, who he's a foot taller than. So he didn't have to worry about a hand in the face He didn't have to worry about the sight lines, nothing. It was a well-designed play. It was a well-decided timeout. And again, the Sixers seem to be the more prepared team in the series. And they are obviously the more talented team. That we already knew. And they're allowing their talent to carry them in this series so far. 609-403-0973. A uh, couple text messages. Hey, Mike, I hear two times. To- Mike, I hear too many times when callers try to point out when you're wrong. Well, let me call out when you are right. Earlier this week, you said how Tobias has to get better around the rim. Well, in the fourth quarter, he had the two bunnies at the rim, and he missed them. I'm not bashing him, just pointing out how you were correct. Well, that's very nice of you to, to point that out. I appreciate you remembering that. Um Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've said for a while that I think Tobias Harris needs to get better finishing around the basket. How many times has Tobias Harris put the ball on the floor? And I'm like, get past the ball because I know he's not, he can't finish. But he's been a big factor in the series. The Sixers haven't had a player where you're like, this guy is killing them. Right? There's not like in 2019 when Greg Monroe went in the game, this guy's killing them. Paul Reed came in last night. 
He didn't do much. He was a minus five, but the game didn't get away from them. I think the, I think it was like a minus three. The lead they expanded by like three points when Embiid went out. They didn't go up you know, a fifteen point spread because Embiid left the game. Reed played nine minutes. He had the dunk. He had a uh, I think he had a block shot, a steal. I mean, he made things happen. So Reed, all we're asking, give me eight to twelve minutes. He played nine minutes in that game last night, and he wasn't a detriment. Niang, as we mentioned, hit three threes, and they were big. They were big. You go back and remember some of the shots that were taken in the game. My God, you know, that fourth quarter late, just to get it to overtime, you go back to that Danny Green three. When Danny Green made that three-pointer, I think he hit it. It was like three minutes left or something like that, somewhere around three minutes. He hits the three that ties the game up at 90. And then back and forth they went. Danny Green hits a three. Ananobi comes down. He hits a three. Then Achua hits one. They go up five. Maxi hits that pull up. They cut the lead back to two. You remember Harden had the layup to cut it to one. That was like a minute 14 left. That was the uh, goaltending call where Harden looks like he has a free path to the basket. And Ananobi comes in and blocks that thing. And I don't even know if it was a that, – that thing was one of the toughest uh, goaltending violations. I didn't know what to call that. I wouldn't know what to say there. And then, if you remember, Van Vliet comes down the other end. They're down by one, the Sixers are. Van Vliet comes down. He pulls for three. And you thought that thing was going in. He misses. And Bede gets the rebound. Harden ends up going to the free throw line. He misses the first one. You're like, oh, my gosh. He makes a second one. They're tied. And they foul um, They foul Harden out on the following possession. So Harden makes one of two. He then gets called for the foul, which uh, some of the, fa- the, the, the the officiating last night. It's another whole other story. is in a total embarrassment to the league. They got to do something about it. And when I say something, I'm not even saying replace the guys. I'm just saying if they're going to make these calls, you can replay the call in real time so fast that you can say, okay, I missed that. Let me just check real fast to see if I got, uh, I got it wrong. Let's keep playing. I'm going to blow my whistle because the thing is so fast. But I can replay it so fast that I can switch the call almost in immediate real time. They have to do it. These guys are so bad. And I'm not blaming them. That's what I'm, I'm not saying replace the guys. They got to come up with a new system. You can't just blow the whistle because you think you saw something. You have to know you saw something. But if you say, hey, you got to blow the whistle because it might be something, you have the technology now. These guys could put a wristwatch on and literally have the replay sent right to their watch. They can see it on their wrist and say, oh, I thought I saw something. I didn't see it. Let's keep playing. It's real time. Because the 10 minutes that these guys bitch and moan about getting called for a foul, somebody could have said, hey, you did miss that one. And it would be quick and easy. I mean, for God's sakes, the call on Danny Green, then he gets teed up for it. What was he doing? Boxing somebody out? That's now a foul and a technical? Come on. But keep this in mind. 
When James Harden fouled out of that game last night, there was 27 seconds left. There was one possession left. Achua missed both free throws. He missed them both. So it almost bailed you out a little bit that he gets fouled. He goes to the line. He missed both free throws. And then the Sixers have a terrible possession to end the game. We go to overtime. The overtime, you know, people forget in overtime, they came out. Gary Trent hits the pull-up. You had Ananobi hit the pull-up. He had a, a three. So they go up one, and B then puts them back up. It was back and forth there. And then there's a lull where Embiid scored at 236 of overtime. Another point wasn't scored until Ananobi hit a free throw with 26 seconds left. So they tie the game up with 26 seconds left and then Embiid. So for the final two minutes and 36 seconds, you had one field goal Embiid's three. And that happened with .8 left. Wild night. Wild, wild, wild night. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Mike, I'm rooting for Simmons to make a miraculous comeback and help the Nets win at least one game against Boston. I'm rooting for Simmons because it's fun to watch someone bounce back from adversity. I'm rooting for the Nets because I cannot believe the Celtics are making Durant look so average. That's Ernie from Newark. Um, well, that series we'll get into. And there's so much to dive into that one because, really, it kind of worked out well. I turned that game on at 7, up to 8. That game went to halftime, went to the Sixers game. When the Sixers game went to halftime, that game was in the fourth quarter. So you got to watch a little bit of that. Uh, Hey, Mike, another game where the trade proves to go Sixers way, even with Harden fouling out. Uh, Officiating is an issue at every level of basketball. It's a hard game to officiate, play through it, enough technology. Uh, I don't disagree that's i'm saying it's hard to officiate but the nba has a way the technology to fix it i'm not asking for high school basketball to have a wristwatch on in replays i'm saying the nba could do it uh, another trade where the trade proves to go the sixers way uh so far so good yeah ben simmons hasn't played so it's hard to really judge it fully I would imagine that having Harden is better than having Curry and Drummond. You keep missing my point on that, Adam, but you can continue to text that in every day if you want. The point I was making was the Sixers lost their depth. Now, their depth hasn't hurt them in this series so far. Let's see if you still feel the same way when they play Miami. Let's see if you still feel the same way when they play somebody other than the Raptors who have a little bit more depth. That's where the trade hurt the Sixers. It wasn't getting Harden. It was giving up multiple pieces to get Harden has depleted your depth. And it added depth to the Nets. Now, that being said, the depth hasn't been the problem for the Nets. The problem for the Nets has been Kevin Durant has stunk. You put Kevin Durant out there, the regular Kevin Durant, let's see if Adam has quick fingers to text in the next time. When Durant plays a game like Durant, they ain't beating them. Nobody is. If Kevin Durant's going to play like this, sure. If Kevin Durant plays like Kevin Durant, I have a feeling you're not going to be texting me, Adam. Just a hunch. 609-403-0973.
Really easy solution. Really easy solution for the refing situation. Just make the NBA's version of a sky judge and be done with it. The, the officials don't have to go to a monitor. You just have a guy whose only job is to watch replay. He'll buzz him down and be like, hey, that was a goaltend. We're done. Move on. That's what I'm saying. You can have whatever way you want to communicate. You can have somebody watch that play on the replay monitor and literally tell the guy in real time in his ear, you missed it. Yeah. You, I saw what I see what you thought you saw. I'm telling you, he didn't touch his arm at all. Keep playing. Yeah, you don't have to have a 20-minute review for a flagrant one or flagrant two. There's just a guy who tells you, hey, that was a flagrant one. Move on. Well, it's the fouls, though. It's the ticky-tack fouls. It's the it's the one on Embiid where he hits the fro of, uh, who was it, Ananobi's driving. Yeah. I mean, is that a foul? If I hit your hair, is that a foul? It's very ticky-tack. The because call on Harden, is that a foul? I don't think so. The final one, no. I, uh, seriously, like, and then they replayed it and still called it a foul, but that's a pride thing. I'm not switching that in right. that moment. But you don't call that foul in that moment. That's the point. You don't call that foul just like down the other end. The, on, on Harris, late in the game, he gets the rebound, the putback, he misses, and Harris is calling for You don't call that foul in that moment. Harris, you got to power up and score. Too many times these guys call foul that doesn't impede the shot. You know, for instance, Harden gets called for a foul when there's a pass. They throw the pass, and Malachi Flynn and Harden collide, kind of. You remember that? Yeah. Well, that's a foul on Harden, they call. That's not a foul. You don't need to call that foul. Flynn ended up with the ball. It didn't impede a shot. It didn't impede a basket. Harden is not trying to foul you. He's going for the ball. That call doesn't need to be made. You added a foul to Harden, one of the best players in the league, on that stupid call. 225 Sports Bash brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Create memories to last a lifetime. Start with nonstop flights from Atlantic City to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. Maybe Miami for the Sixers Heat Series, eh? That's a hustle play. Harden's hustling. You don't call a foul when the guy's hustling. If he bulldozes through him and drives his shoulder, yes, he intentionally tried to take the guy out. But him and Flynn are both going for the ball, and they both happen to hit the deck. Flynn ended up with the ball. He can outlet the pass. No harm, no foul. Keep playing. Stop calling that foul. All right, Scott Spinelli, former college coach at Boston College in 20 minutes. Excuse me, in 15 minutes. Tom McGinnis, the voice of the Sixers at 325. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 232, Scott Spinelli, former college basketball coach at Boston College, is going to join us. Uh... More text messages coming in, 609-403-0973. Mike, I've said before, the Sixers need to take that punch, and Toronto was throwing haymakers, being down by, what, 17 or something like that. But on the road, the big man now, I'm not going to act like I want to see him be taking so many threes, not counting the game winner, but he willed that team. And, yes, Doc calling the timeout was huge because instead of Harding dribble, dribble, shoot, it was Embiid holding the ball, getting it poked away. Then what we, the rest we saw, wow, what a game, what a comeback. And we aren't here talking about the Sixers losing a lead or a game that they could have, but instead taking a commanding 3-0 lead in the series. You know, there's a lot there because you're right. That's a game they lose all the time. 
That's a game that the young Sixers, the young Embiid, the younger version, loses that game. Instead, he found a way to be a shot maker. There's been many times where the Sixers have been in that game and they can't make the last big shot. They haven't had the finisher. I don't know that if Embiid is a classic finisher, I don't know that he's going to be able to make that shot every single time, but at least he now has the one under his belt where he can say or they can say, hey, he got us one because it hasn't happened for them before. They haven't been able to make that shot. That shot has missed all the time. It led to Embiid being in tears. It has led them to having Jimmy Butler want to leave the team. They have not been able to make that shot. He made that game-winning three-pointer with .8 seconds left. It's his first career game-winning, game-tying, go-ahead field goal in the fourth quarter of an overtime ever. He was 0 for 14 in that moment, Joel Embiid was. 0 for 14 with that last shot. Now they have a 3-0 lead. Never been relinquished. We know the record, 143-0 when teams take a 3-0 lead. The Sixers did not lead in regulation the entire game, and they did not lead by more than two points until they hit that three. And you know what? The spread was two. He hit the three. They won by three. So they didn't have to lead the whole game and covered somehow. How about that? The Raptors blow a 17-point lead. It's the largest blown lead in a loss in franchise postseason history last night for the Raptors. 609-403-0973. It was just a wild ending. And by the way, we're talking about the Sixers are better with Harden. They won the game. Harden wasn't even on the floor. He wasn't even out there in that moment. They won the game with the team they used in the regular season, essentially. No, no Harden last night in overtime. Keep that in mind as well. They had to overcome the fact that Harden, who had 10 assists last night, wasn't on the floor in overtime. We got a look at possibly the team we talk about a lot, getting knocked out of the playoffs, losing, that, that feeling of losing. Did we finally see a team have a moment that propels them? We'll find out. They got to close the series out Saturday. If not Saturday, got to be Monday. Maybe Toronto gets one on the uh, at home, sends it back to Philly. Monday night would be game five. You got to finish this in four or five. And then we'll see what happens when you go to Miami. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. You know, one of the big moments in that game is the moments when, oh boy, trying to think back, I thought there was a there was a um, there was a time in the game when the Sixers were kind of struggling along, and it's like they they were kind of there, they weren't knocked out yet. It's fourth quarter, and you know, it felt one of two ways, right? It felt like they were just going to get close and not going to be able to get over the hump. Right, It felt like it was, they're just close. They're not going to get over that hump. They, they, they kept running out of gas right when they got to that spot. And that is when I think you saw the Sixers, and this is something they haven't been able to do in the past, right? They haven't been able to get that guy to put them 
over the top, and that's when you saw a little bit of extra offense from Maxi, And Maxi was able to just kind of give them that energy, that extra spurt, that extra little oomph to kind of say, all right, we're close, we're right there, and he gets that tip shot in. It was that Maxi tip shot that tied that game up finally. Now, they didn't get the lead after that, but all that fighting, all that getting in, and Maxi gets that little, he, he took the shot, he missed it, but he got the rebound and tipped it back, and that made it 84-84. And at that moment, it was like, all right, they climbed the mountain, they got all the way there, maybe that's just enough. And that Maxi shot was a big one. So I'll give Maxi that, because uh, he didn't have like a standout, Moment. He had a couple of drives to the basket. He had that 12-foot jumper with like a minute 45 left uh, that made it 95-92. But that tip-in made it 84-84. Remember that moment. It was a big one in the game. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. 238. Coming up, Scott Spinelli, former Boston College basketball coach. I want to get his thoughts on these playoffs what he sees from the Celtics, Nets, Sixers, Raptors, and his thoughts on Jay Wright retiring last night. Right before the Sixers game happened, that news came out. I'll give you some thoughts on that as well. Tom McGinnis tonight at 320 here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. To the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 243 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Sixers up 3-0. Boston goes up 2-0 in that series. Want to look at both of them. Milwaukee, by the way, they lose last night. And they lost Middleton in the game. Booker is out. These playoffs have taken a turn. We're going to take a look at the NBA playoffs right now here on the Sports Bash Live. He's the host of the Breakdown on the Believe Podcast Network. Former Boston College interim head coach, college basketball analyst Scott Spinelli is going to join me now to talk a little bit more about these NBA playoffs. I also want to get his thoughts on, uh, man, the sudden retirement of Jay Wright last night. Coach, how are you? Excellent, Mike. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here with you today. Always good to have you back. We uh, Last time we spoke, we got into the tournament, which was great. Uh, we saw a fantastic run in the tournament. I want to start with that, uh, Scott. You know, were you shocked to see Jay Wright's sudden announcement last night? Very shocked and saddened also, Mike. I mean, you know, you're losing one of the you know best coaches uh, in all of college basketball, maybe ever, and especially with what he's done at Villanova, you know, um, you know, in particular over the last decade, and you know how he's built his program, you know, from within is a way that, again, that's how we all think of college basketball, guys who have been around it for a while. Um, and obviously this transfer portal has really kind of thrown, uh, you know, a, a different uh, look into this thing. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that 
kind of contributed that the way the game is going that he said, you know what, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you could sit here and speculate all you want. I think we just got to respect Coach Wright's decision and what he's decided to do in his best interest for him and his family. Um, and that's the one thing that I think that's lost in all of this, um, you know, for all of us as coaches, um, you know, who have children, have families. There's a lot more than just um, that. what goes into this as far as what we think as coaches. You know, you do have a family, and there are some decisions sometimes that are hard decisions. But, again, uh, I think it'd be really unfair to speculate. You know, you look at uh, what we saw in the NBA last night, uh, coaching and how much that factors in. I mean, that Boston uh, Nets series, you know, players win. The players win these games. The Nets, I don't think uh, many would argue, have the best players you take a look, though, at what Boston's doing. How much is it that they seem to be the more prepared team in that series? Well, first of all, Boston's made a tremendous turnaround this year. Um, you know, early in the season when you know they were struggling, you got to give um, you know Coach uh, Adoka Ume um, and his staff and uh, just a tremendous amount of credit um, for being able to get through that tough, rough patch and really establish an identity. I think that's what makes Boston, um, you know, who they are right now. First and foremost, you know, what Coach Stevens and the front office have done, too, you know, they're a complete basketball team. There's not a lot of holes right now. Um, you know, some of those trades and those key acquisitions that they've made really fit nicely nicely into the system. So they're a complete team. And to your point right now, they're defending at an extremely high level. Um, and, you know, with Brooklyn, look, we, we know, you know, KD, we know Kyrie, uh, those two guys are exceptional talents. And what we're seeing right now is, again, you know, as the Celtics are running multiple guys at each one of those guys, especially last night, Kevin Durant. And, um, you know, and they're making him a facilitator or making him take tough shots, which, again, he can make those. But I think it's really disrupted uh, the Nets rhythm and then the physicality of which Boston is playing right now, especially um, on those two guys. I think it's really helped them. You know, obviously the Nets um, have Durant and Kyrie, and they're the big uh, names here. But around them, do they have enough? Is that is that the problem that they just don't have enough around them that we just get caught up in the two guys are so good? But did, do they not have enough around them? When you have two players of that caliber, it's easy to speculate on, you know, okay, we need more around them. But, look, you know, I think sometimes you those two guys are so good to your point that you kind of just sit back, even as a player and as a coach, you kind of get there and you sit to that point where you just say, you know what, I'm just going to watch them. And I think there's been a lot of that, you know, maybe too much watching and not enough ball movement, changing sides of the floor with the basketball. They've been kind of predictable on offense um, in terms of those two guys in particular. Um, But again, I I think when they're that talented and they're that good, you know, you have to kind of trust what they're doing. But I think when they go back home to Brooklyn, they're going to make some adjustments here. Uh, Again, I think they're going to move the ball a lot more on offense. They're not going to be as stagnant. They're not going to be watching those two guys kind of go one-on-one, your turn, my turn type thing. Um, And at the end of the day, I think Brooklyn still has a lot of guys around those two who are really good players, who assume their roles. We saw that last night, you know, with uh, with Curry. I mean, he obviously shot it really well. And um, I, I just think their team is a little bit better than I think people give them credit for. Um, and, and when they get back home, look, Dragic has played exceptionally well also here these last two games. Uh, Coach, we look at 
the whole Simmons thing. You're the coach of the Nets, and you're how how do you handle that? Do you incorporate him right back in? Do you want him back in? Do you say, hey, let's wait until the series is over? I mean, this is an odd spot for Steve Nash to be in, is it not? It's a tough spot to be in. But, you know, look, so much has gone on in today's uh, society, especially when we talk about, uh, you know, physical and mental health right now. And, look, you know, for a kid like Simmons, I don't know enough about the situation um, in terms of what this poor kid has gone through. But for him to you know, work his way back now and to be in a position that he might, in fact, get out here and play, I think it's a huge move, uh, momentum, um, not only momentum gain for the Nets, it's also having him on the floor, you know, kind of, you know, puts down an elite-level defender, a versatile defender, an offensive guy that's a matchup nightmare, and I think he adds a lot to the to the team. And, to, you know, with Coach Nass, I'm sure it's been really hard to juggle all this. And you got to really kind of give those guys, Coach Nash and his staff, a lot of credit at, hey, look, he's coming back and we're going to figure out how to do this. Um, you know, we're going to insert him and we're going to play, you know, the way we've been playing. Yet at the same time, we're going to use him in a lot of different ways. And I think in scenarios that can really help them. But I think his biggest value in his asset that I think will really help the Nets, I think he's going to be a guy defensively that can guard multiple players just because of his versatility, his length and his size. Yeah, so you think that Simmons coming back could make a difference in the series? I do. I, you know, look, I, I think they're going to go back to Brooklyn, and this is going to turn into a very good series. I don't think this series is far, anywhere near from being over. As good as the Celtics are playing, um, this next game is such an important game. You know, we all know when you get back home, look, they're up 2-0. The Celtics were supposed to go up 2-0. Um, you know, it took a, a kind of a, you know, a circus shot to beat them in game one. Last night, you know, they had a big lead. I mean, they were up big, and they just – you know, for whatever reason, you know, kind of get sloppy with the basketball, things that they were doing in the first half, scoring the ball easily. Um, you know, they, they went to the same, you know, kind of philosophy that just didn't work for them, right? When they get at home, you know, and if they get up 17 at home, right, I think that's going to be a very uh, big task for the Celtics to have to come back to. But I do think this series is far from over. And if you insert Simmons and he's in any kind of shape at all, and however they play him, I think it's a huge addition uh, for the Nets, but I look for this series to go, I think, uh, a lot longer than what I think people are assuming right now. We agree on that. Coach Scott Spinelli, host of the Breakdown on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, he's the former Boston College interim head coach, and we're taking a look at uh, you know the Sixers series against the Raptors. They're up 3-0. Last night, not an aesthetically pleasing game, but that's a game the Sixers typically lose in their past playoff runs. Is this a moment where you see a team that has constantly come up short, did they finally get over a hump that can take them a little further than they normally have gone? Well, look, I think it starts with Doc Rivers. I mean, you know, he's been a guy that always gets the best out of his players. I mean, he gets them to play to their strengths uh, when the stage is at its biggest moments. I mean, those kids, his guys are always ready for the challenge. Uh, last night they fought through a lot of adversity, as did Toronto did in that game. They, you know, they play without Scotty Bonds, but um, you know Tyrese Maxey has been just an incredible um, all around, all three levels in terms of what he's contributing right now offensively. He's really playing with a high energy on defense. Um, you know, he's out there uh, playing every possession as if it's his last. 
And then you obviously add the star power with Embiid and, and Harden and, you know, Niang's gave, gave him gave some valuable minutes last night. I mean, look, you know, right now, Philadelphia, um, after winning last night, is in a commanding lead. And you look, I mean, they're a team right now that, you know, with Maxi, if he continues on this path, because we know we're going to get from the other two. I mean, Embiid right now, you know, they, they, he's doing it in so many different ways. I mean, obviously, we saw last night the three-point shot. I mean, you're trying to double him at the elbow. You're trying to double him at the middle of the floor. Um, you know, he's just right now playing at a different level. And I think Harden's assumed a nice role here uh, with this team. And, again, you know, credit goes to Coach Rivers and his staff for getting him to buy in and kind of a shortened time here with the Sixers. But he's really assuming a great role right now in being efficient and not just going out there looking to shoot the ball. Uh, we'll see that game Saturday. Um, what do you think of what happened in Milwaukee? The Bulls, I think most people thought, hey, the Bucks are going to sweep this. Losing Middleton, I know a kid that you know pretty well, uh, that's a huge loss for that team. It really is. And, you know, Chris's, you know, loss isn't just measured on statistics, although his stats are very good. You know, just his presence on the floor in terms of what he brings to the table, um, you know, for the Bucks is going to be um, a big loss. Now, again, I don't know and I'm not sure they've announced, uh, you know, in terms of the MCL sprain, how long it's going to be that he'll be out. But last night, you know, Portis being out, too. Now, you've got both those two guys out. Um, you know, Portis only played six minutes last night. And, you know, um, you know, if he comes back, I think that's going to be huge for Milwaukee. I think he is going to come back. But um, not having Chris is a, is a huge part of what Milwaukee is about, their identity. But I do think they still have enough. You know, look what it took last night. DeRozan had to score 41 last night, um, you know, for them to win the game. He was tremendously efficient. He was awesome. But, again, you lose those two guys, kind of your wing defenders, right, that you can't really even match up with the guy. Um, I think that was huge um, as it relates to, you know, why Milwaukee, you know, let up so many points, um, you know, with DeRozan. But, you know, look, Milwaukee has a has a you know has a climb here. You know, this is this is a series that's not anywhere near from being a sweep, and they're one one now, and they're going to be down a star, an all star. Um, so they've got to regroup. And again, they're a championship team, and if Portis is back, I think they'll they'll you know restructure some stuff here and make some adjustments. But I still think Milwaukee, and I like Milwaukee in the series. All right, uh, you know, real quick on the on the big series. There's a lot of series. This Minnesota, Memphis, obviously two smaller markets. Young kids going at each other. Edwards and Ja Moran. This one's great. Uh, you've got Booker out. You think the Pelicans have enough to take out the Suns, or do the Suns have enough depth to hold them off until Booker's ready? Well, I tell you what, the Pelicans right now are playing with an unbelievable amount of confidence and. You know, look, sort of like the NCAA tournament, those playing games, right? Those first four games we saw this years ago with VCU, and they played in that, and they advanced all the way to the Final Four. No matter what tournament you're playing in, whether it's the playoffs in the NBA, whether it's a playing game, whether it's in college, your most difficult challenge usually is that first game. And right now the Pelicans, by winning those two playing games, which weren't easy games, by the way, they play, they beat two good teams. They're playing with an unbelievable amount of confidence. There's a lot of momentum. Um, you know, Phoenix, obviously, with Booker being down, um, that's going to hurt them. And the one thing that you kind of look at here from a coaching standpoint is some of the adjustment that, uh, adjustments that Coach Green and his staff have made. Uh, their ball screen coverages in that second game. Um, they were 
weren't giving, you know, Paul and Andrew Booker maybe a steady diet. They were switching some things up. Uh, I think that really helped them. And look, the effort is there, right? I mean, you, you see the first game when uh, Valanciunas had, you know, 25 rebounds, 13 of them offensive rebounds. Uh, you know, the Pelicans are going after right now. They're playing with a sense of urgency and intensity on every possession. And look, that's what these playoffs are about. It's about a game point mentality on both ends of the floor. Every possession, and the Pelicans are dangerous right now. Dangerous. All right, NBA playoffs continue right here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Scott Spinelli's been my guest. He's host of the Breakdown on the Believe Podcast Network, former Boston College interim head coach, uh, known as one of the best recruiters in the country. In fact, he uh, recruited Chris Middleton. Uh, so as we mentioned, he knows him very well and a slew of other guys. Coach, it's good to catch up with you again. We'll have to do it again soon. Yep, thanks for having me. Take care. Have a good day. All right, that's Scott Spinelli here on the Sports Bash giving us a coaching perspective on these NBA playoffs. Uh-huh. Right there's our sounder. Pick your trip. Give me caller number 7, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller number 7. You are entered in for a chance to win a Eagles road trip to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice, which includes airfare, hotel, pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. You must be present to win at Slack Tide Brewing Company if you are caller number seven at 609-573-3776. Trip is courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrip.com. Food provided that day from Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller number seven. Good luck, Tom McGinnis. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Hey, congratulations to Scott in Seville. Scott in Seville entered. Our Pick Your Trip contest, and he has a chance to win an Eagles road trip. We're sending one lucky listener and a friend. It could be your wife or girlfriend or significant other. You choose. But one lucky listener will win a trip for two to the Eagles road game of their choice. That includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. You must be present to win at Slack Tide Brewing Company. A week from today, we will be there live. And, yes, it's open to the public. You can come on out and see the show live. If you do not enter as one of our qualifiers, you can come out and watch the show and have a couple beers with Slack Tide Brewing, food from Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop, and the trip is courtesy of our friends at phillysportstrips.com. Now, did you ask this guy where he wants to go? No, I didn't. Man. But he was very happy he qualified. He says he loves the show. Well, who wouldn't be happy that they qualified? You're getting a chance to win a free trip. See well, an Eagles some, game, dude. But some people more enthusiastic. You're going to see Debo Samuel. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but. Oh, the Athletic lists five different offers for the 49ers to consider. And they said these five teams mm-hmm. have the best shot. Okay. Packers, Texans, Chiefs, Jets, Eagles. So my first question in response to that, Mike, is, do you believe the 49ers will handle the Debo trade like the Chiefs did and that they would are they going to ask the receiver where does he prefer to go or are they just going to do whatever they think is best? I will say this. From 
Adam Schefter this morning, he said one of the reasons Debo wants to be traded doesn't have anything to do with his role, the quarterbacks, none of that stuff. He's from South Carolina, and he just wants to be closer to home. He said, look, he didn't pick San Francisco. He got drafted. He had a move there, and he just, ho- he just wants to work closer to home. Can you relate to that? Can people relate to that? Are there people? You know how many people reach out to me that want to try to get a job in radio and they work in a bigger market than where we are and they just say, I just want to move closer to home. I just want to be near Philly or I want to get closer to home. I'm like, well, you're in a much bigger market than we are. I don't care. I just want to be closer to home. Debo Samuel essentially says he just wants to be closer to home. So what's he going to be, a Carolina Panther? Well, that was my first instinct because he went to South Carolina, which I don't know how Houston factors into that then. But let me, let me quickly play. This is from Adam Schefter this morning on the factor of Debo Samuel's decision. There are a lot of receivers right now who are not showing up to their team's offseason programs. Debo Samuel not there. Scrub the 49ers logos off his social media pages. Clearly unhappy. My understanding is we'd have to hear from Debo himself. I'm sure there are a multitude of factors as to why he would like to be traded, but I think one of them is the fact that he simply prefers to be closer to home, South Carolina, not out west in California. California, San Francisco chose him. He didn't choose that. How many people leave school and go where they don't have to go? Debo is in that situation. I think he'd like to be closer to home somehow. Now, again, there are other issues, of course. We'll see if the two sides can figure out a way to work it out, but it's still a difficult trade to complete as much as he doesn't want to be back in San Francisco. And then the question becomes, if they can't deal him, what then? What then? All right. So you heard Adam Schefter. This comes down to simply he might just want to be closer to home. Well, the teams that were mentioned in the athletic article, the Packers, not close to South Carolina. The Houston Texans, a little closer to South Carolina. Marginally. The Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. Of these teams, the Kansas City Chiefs is the closest to South Carolina. You're in Missouri. So you're closer than the Jets and the Eagles are. You are still not close. The closest would be the Carolina Panthers, the Atlanta Falcons, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They would be your closest options to there. Now, San Francisco is not going to just work out a trade with a team that doesn't have it. Now, this is the offer that they made at the Athletic for the Eagles. Number 18 and the first of two third-round picks this season and a 2024 third-round pick. That sounds pretty fair to me. It sounds fair. I think that if I'm the 49ers, my first counter to that would be, can you make that 2023 pick a second-round pick? I think that would be... 2024. So I would ask him for a second-round pick in that situation. Um, and I said yesterday on the show, and I would reinforce that, is I'd send them Rager and say, here, you can have a former first-round pick. Yep. You can have him. And how about that? I mean, Instead that of cer- the pick. That would certainly make sense. And I think that, you know, as we discussed yesterday, I think Kyle Shanahan would like to get somebody who can – at least be utilized in the Debo role. Obviously, Jalen Rager's not Debo Samuel talent-wise, but his skill set does fit into that mold. So I definitely think that that makes sense. My other question is, 
because you mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs. Are they including the Chiefs just because they have a ton of assets to work with? Well, they traded Tyreek Hill. Do they just assume that they want to replace him? Right, They're offering they, in the Chiefs trade, it was the 30th and 94th picks of this year's draft. That's not as good as an offer as the Eagles pick. No. They have and, 12 picks this year. It's tied for the most of all teams. And Debo would have to play a different role in Kansas City than what he's been playing in San Francisco. Well, what about this whole thing? You know, I tweeted this out today, something in along the lines of, you have a guy, right? You have this player who has kind of been a unicorn. Nobody else really does what he does. And how does a trade work for a player who you like because of how unique he is? And he says, I don't want to be unique anymore. anymore. I want to be like everyone else. Does that factor into your decision here of this guy coming? If he, in fact, that's one of the reasons. We don't know that to be one of the reasons, but it has been implied that he doesn't want to carry the ball as much. He doesn't want to be a quote-unquote running back uh, anymore. He just wants to be a receiver. Sounds almost like the exact opposite of Le'Veon Bell. He didn't want to be a or he wanted to be paid as both. Right. My gut instinct is what I saw Debo tweet himself to that question, which is Debo basically put on Twitter – I think it was last night or early evening, whatever. I got to double check the exact time. But he basically said the only people who really know what I want is me, my agent, and that's it, basically. So, you know, I don't I don't know how much we can read into it because Devo seems very intent. I'm pulling up a tweet right now. He seems very intent on um, not putting too much information out there for whatever reason. Let me find he doesn't have any reason. I mean, it's not... I don't understand. These guys go out of their way to scrub their social medias. They have their, you know, brother or their sister or their handler or their mother or somebody make some sort of, like, passive-aggressive statement for them. It's nobody's business. Mm -hmm. If he wants to be traded because he wants to be closer to home or if he just doesn't like, you know, all of these things, it's nobody's business. He doesn't have to go out of his way on social media to explain to everybody why. But I would say this. If he, in fact, doesn't want to be the player that he is, I think it definitely has to be considered by the team of, hey, I'm not giving you as much to get him if he doesn't want to be, you know, if he's coming out and saying he doesn't want to be this player. I'm also curious to know, because you said he wants to go home, be closer to home. I didn't say that. Adam Schefter did. Well, I meant, well, <laughs> you were repeating what Schefter I'm said. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just knew you would take it too serious. The question I have to that would be, is there a part of this conversation where, because there's a there's a speculation out there I heard this morning that he doesn't care about the money. The money is not the issue. Well, that's nice to hear. Refreshing. I'll so, give him two points for that. So I if, told you my favorite receiver now is Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. He says I don't care what I get paid. So maybe Debo would be your second favorite receiver. Yeah, if Debo is essentially saying it's not about the money and the extension, I don't care. I'll make four hundred. He's making like four million dollars. Yeah. Apparently, Debo just wants that some sort of contract security is what Kimberly which Martin is, was which saying is fine. this morning. I don't begrudge people for saying they want to get paid as much as they can and that they think they deserve more. Or even, see, what I don't like is this outward, I have to get paid more money because in my mind I'm better than you. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that to me. The ego. I, I don't care about, like, there are plenty of people doing my job that get paid more than me. 
And quite frankly, I don't know that that's – I'm like, hey, that guy's doing the same job I'm doing, and he's getting paid exponentially more. There are people who do the job that make less than me and are better or just as good. It just happens to be where you are. I don't care about that. That happens to be with what you're comfortable with. It's right. not, hey, I'm better than you, Josh, so I have to get paid more money than you. Well, again, I go back to the money thing because the reason I was asking that question was because I asked on game night last night, I don't want my team, whoever your team is, you know, the Eagles or if you're, let's say you're a Jets fan out there. We have the Jets fans out there because, you know, the connection to the 49ers and the Jets organization because of the coaching staff, whoever you are, I don't want to trade for Debo unless I know I can lock him up. So if he wants to be closer to home, I got to be sure that if he's literally not that close to home, I don't want to trade all these assets to get a guy Mm -hmm. and then him walk in free agency. Sure. Yeah, you have to be able to lock him up. Now, one of the things in the article at The Athletics is how can it work with the uh, cap space? The Eagles have $9 million in effective cap space, according to Over the Cap. Um, they have a few players whose contracts they can restructure, and he says they've never had an issue restructuring contract to fit good players on the cap and would have a little problem doing it. So, in other words, what I said yesterday, Howie Roseman will figure out a way to sign him to a contract. If he trades for him, if Roseman gave up assets to trade for Debo Samuel, he ain't letting him walk, right? No. He's doing it to bring him here and saying, you're the piece. The question, I guess, would then come to, is he the piece? Is he the guy that you'd say, we're getting him and we don't need to draft another receiver again because now we have Debo Samuel and Devonta Smith and that's our two guys with Dallas Goddard and that's our offense. That's the foundation of our offense for the next five years. I think Smith will be here for four more years. Right, Goddard. Just signed an extension. You would assume you're going to trade for Debo. Who's going to sign for another three, four years as well? Right. So you would say, this is my... The question has to be asked, if you're the Eagles, Howie Roseman, Nick Sirianni, is is Debo Samuel worth giving up a first-round pick because he is the guy that we can build our offense around or with for the next three to five years? And they had to answer that question before they ever pulled the trigger. Because if, they, if, the, if the answer to that question is no, you don't go near him. Not well, sure. If, if not, the answer to that question is no, right, you're not giving up a first-round pick. You're not giving up all the assets that I just rattled off that the Athletic mentioned. And, and the Athletic trade that they mentioned in their article is essentially the same trade that we offered yesterday. We offered, I think, the second of the third-round picks. They right. offered the, t- the, the first of the third-round picks. And remember, this is the same organization, the Eagles, that wanted to get Calvin Ridley. But because he's suspended next year, they you know, had to They get- mentioned that in the article as well. Okay. That they tried to get Allen Robinson, they tried to get Christian Kirk, and they were in on Ridley. Right. So we know the organization has already been looking for receivers. And, you know, Debo, in my opinion, I think Debo is a better route runner than Calvin Ridley is. I think his hands were as good as Allen Robinson's are. So it's not like you're getting some guy who's just a byproduct of Kyle Shanahan's system. Like, well, what would interest me, though, about... Riddick, uh, Debo, is the versatility. Being the guy that takes the jet sweep. I can hand him the ball on this. I can do that. And if he's saying, I don't really like that role, then I, I am a little trepidatious about that. Well, I think it was the difference between 
you know, the being a, a utility knife and being what was basically a primary running back at times last year. Maybe his issue is being a running back. Maybe he's just like, I don't mind doing handoffs once or twice a game, but I don't want to be the guy toting the ball 12 carries a game. Yeah, I don't think the Eagles would use him in that role. I think it would be, hey, can we hand it to you on a jet sweep? Can we hand it to you once in a blue moon? You know, you line up in the backfield. You come in motion and you line up next to uh, or behind Jalen Hurts. You know, all that kind of stuff. More gimmicky runs than straight handoffs off right tackle. Right, and I think if I think most wide receivers would be okay with that. We see a lot of receivers in the NFL do that. So I think that for Debo, there's probably a part of him that says, listen, I don't want to be a running back because one running backs don't get paid as much money and they don't have much job security and two that's not my thing i am a wide receiver sports best is brought to you by ac airport plan your next vacation now create memories to last a lifetime start with non-stop flights from atlantic city to boston atlanta san juan and miami book your low-cost flight at spirit.com when we come back the voice of the sixers tom mcginnis right here from 97.3 espn what a call he had last night as the Sixers beat the Raptors. But what was it like in the building the moment that shot went through the net? Tom was in that building when Kawhi hit that shot. Oh, how different it was last night. You'll hear that description coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. South Jersey's sports leader. Tobias with it back to Joel. He fakes and now shoots a fadeaway three. It's good. A remarkable triple. Joel Embiid puts it up and in. Five straight by Embiid. And the Sixers have again tied it. You heard it right here last night on 97.3 ESPN. That was Tom McGinnis. This is also Tom McGinnis. Now, when he's on the radio with me, he doesn't have the same energy. I can promise you that. He uses it all on that call. There's been many a nights when I'm driving in my car and I text Tom McGinnis, that car was having drive off the road. And one of them was last night. Tom McGinnis is in Canada, and he joins me right now on the Sports Bash. Tom, how are you, pal? Mike, good afternoon. I'm doing great. See, I told you, he'd be very subdued today, but the energy still, did you get to sleep? What time did you get to bed last night? Oh, not, not a good night's sleep. I get, it's so hard on the road, honestly. Like, I uh, hope to lay down a little bit. Just got out of a somber movie. Won't get into it. But, uh, yeah, no, we all got back late, you know, and uh, just uh, woke up a little earlier than I would have liked for sure. And that that is, that's life on the road. You get chunks of three, four hours sleep. But uh, but it's all good. We'll be ready for Saturday at 2 o'clock. I don't like the 2 o'clock time. That's a tough time. But that being said, you were in the building, Tom, when Kawhi hit that quadruple doinker. The difference in the energy when Joel hit that shot last night was what? Yeah, right. There was a complete, you know, fervor and raucous energy with that. That building was like that last night. And then that was the silencer. You know, it's amazing because, uh, again, the backdrop was they hadn't held a playoff game since about that time. They went on to play in the Eastern Conference Finals, hosting Milwaukee, and then the Warriors. So it had been in over three years. Remember, they didn't make it last year, the Raptors, and they were in, in, in Tampa. So, yeah, that was the first playoff game in over a 1,000 days. And uh, they draw unbelievable crowds. It's 19,800, and uh, they were rolling, right? They, they led almost the entire game, and that was, I believe, the only time the Sixers took the lead was on that shot by Joe. So 
that was just, uh, or maybe Maxie early in overtime. But uh, yeah, just an incredible thing. I mean, it beats playing at a, an extraordinary level. It's almost like he's trying to will the Sixers forward, and he did it certainly uh, last night. Now, Tom, we know I mean, you've been essentially in there for every single heartbreaking moment for Joel. Did last night feel like that? You know, so many times the great players they lose, they fought, they, they have to go through adversity. You know, you can't get past this team. Every year we come yeah. back, they keep knocking us out. Did that moment feel like that over-the-top moment? Did that finally a breakthrough for us? Like ding-dong, the Wicked Witch is dead kind of moment? <laughs> yeah, that right, kind of exactly. Um, yeah, and now that you say it, you know, for sure. You know, like, um, yeah, I mean, that, like you say, that, you know, the premise is there's kind of a formula in the NBA, right? You go through Detroit, had to go through Boston. The Bulls had to go through Detroit and Obviously, the Sixers with Boston now, and maybe even a little bit, like you say, with Toronto. So, um, yeah, that that that's a good point because they've they've hit a Toronto in a situation where they could have made it a series. Is what Nurse was saying after the game, and uh, and now they're in a, a real bad hole. Whereas 143 times in the history of the NBA. It's been three zip and nobody's ever come back. And so the Sixers, uh, you know, unfinished business. It's not over till it's over. There's nothing harder than closing out a playoff series and there's nothing harder than closing out one on the road. So that I think has been the thing. I mean, they certainly didn't perform like it early in the game, but whereas the Sixers, you can't worry about Toronto. You got to worry about yourself. And, uh, you know, I was a little surprised at how much the Sixers turn it over. That brought back some of that vibe from game seven because that's what happened. In large part, you go back, Mike, in that game uh, in 2019 here, you know, the Sixers had 13 turnovers in the opening quarter. That was almost exactly what they had. And Joel, combined with Simmons, had had about that number as well. So, And that was one of my keys, and that is, you know, I took it from Nurse, but win the possession battle. And that didn't happen. In the end, it got a little closer as the game went on. But certainly in the, in the early stages, it was 8, 10, 12 more trips and chances at it that they had. So... Uh, Mike, real quick, just to revisit, I may there may have been one other time, but I think the last time you had me on, just to bookend this a little bit, was when Ben Simmons hit a three. I remember because we were in Camden doing a community service at the Boys and Girls Club, and I walked outside, and you were asking me, well, Ben Simmons start shooting the threes. That's how long ago it's been. And look where we are today. Joel and Ben shooting the threes. <laughs> exactly. That's well, been a while. Yeah. Well, and, and Tom, you know that you've called the games. They've lost that game every time. Right, they never win that yeah. game in this run. It, it's that ugly game, and they just don't have it. Yeah. And one of the reasons is they don't have the shot maker. They don't have the guy to get that last shot, and right. they finally get it last night. And that's why we talk about. But in parallel to that, the role that Maxi has just—you've seen the whole season from the kid that jumped on the court in October to the kid who's out there now, who's now not a kid. You've had to have seen a guy grow before your very eyes this year. Yeah, right. I think we all have, and we've all fallen in love with him, right? It's a neat thing, for sure. Uh, speed kills in sports, right, in terms of, you know, people have a difficult time matching up with that. You know, I'm talking about his first step, but it's not just his first step. It's his first, second, third, fourth steps. <laughs> he gets to the rack, man. He's finding those gaps, and that's where Harden comes in, and, you know, like even last night, boy, they really relied on him because James had fouled, fouled, fouled out, and uh, where Maxie had a handle of a point. And uh, 
No, you're, you're go back, Mike, and another really good point by you in terms of the, the closer and the guy to be able to make the shot, and that's where you know Embiid comes in. And, and again, I think we've all, because he's so big, and, and you know, like you're like, well, we've got to throw it down on the block. It's too hard to get the guy down there. He's too easy to trap. Uh, and here we go with a guy making a turnaround three-pointer with a second to go to win the game. That's how it's done, you know. And, and Doc Rivers has a thing, too, where everyone hates the two in today, today's analytical wor- uh, world until it comes time to win the game. And then it's the perfect shot, you know. And, and the point being, again, you don't always get right down low. It's sometimes the mid-range deal. So, no, I mean, that that's a big thing. They had Jimmy Butler in this in this sequence earlier, and even then it was so hard to score, uh, score in that game seven that we refer back to. You know, there was two 24-second shot clock violations. It's interesting. Two weeks ago, we were here, April 7th, and they had that game on, and I was getting ready for the game and walking around the room or whatever, and, and that game seven was on. So I watched like four minutes of it, and the chunk was in the third quarter, and the Sixers were in the midst of a 16-0 run and took a 57-50 lead. And, you know, we, we know the result. And, by the way, Tobias came down with a three in that <laughs> It made it a ten point game, but uh, you know what I mean. So that that's that, and now you know now you got this, and the the point is like even at halftime down ten. That's what Doc Rivers focused on as badly as they played, particularly you know in comparison to the first two games in Philadelphia. The point was you were you were within striking distance, and Max he's been a big part of that. He's been a terrific player. Uh, it's the shooting, you know, it's not just the drives. I think he got into the float game a little too much last night, but that's also because they're sending help. Uh, but he's been a terrific story, not to get uh, to get off your initial point there. Well, uh, I want to get your opinion then on uh, what Harden is bringing. What, what is he kind of adding to this team? Because he's not the Harden that many of our listeners or basketball fans remember from the Rockets. I mean, he is that guy, but... It's it's a little something different than we're seeing right. here in Philadelphia than the guy that we remember uh, with Houston. Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, I think you're you're speaking a little bit to the separation. You know, before he was able to fly by you and you know shoot the three, and now he's a little bit of both. He's more of a um, a quarterback and distributor, I think, maybe. Uh, but he's still awful good. And the shots to get it that the Sixers are getting. You know, you go back to 21 made threes and 17 and a half, some of the numbers that they've had in recent games going back to the late part of the regular season and the first two games scored 133 points, and, you know, 115. Those are numbers, and that's what Doc Rivers has said since he got here. Uh, I don't really care how we score. What, what As long as we score and put those numbers up. And uh, he's been a big part of that. So he's, his, his passing has been great. I thought in the first game, you saw, you saw, I don't know if it's because he had the week off or the conditioning, but I thought there was a little bit more where he was turning on the gas a little bit and get by some people. Um, I don't know. Hopefully we'll, we'll see that a little bit more. But, you know, he's – and certainly when he does get in there, there's been another guy coming over and they've enveloped him a little bit and made it more difficult. But uh, he's working on a lot of things, and I think one of the things he worked off uh, in terms of – before the game the last Saturday during that last week off was trying to get uh, the catch and shoot ball and because uh, he's not used to that. Um, but he's been awful good, Mike. When you look at the points and the assists 
and even at times his defense in this series uh, because there's been times where he's switching out and at, at times he's been guarding Ananobi, which nobody's really stopped it, OG so far. But he's still very, very good. Like you say, it's not exactly the player that the Rockets, when he was with Houston, and at that time he was maybe the most prolific player offensively, not just then, but you know, considered all time with how how much he was able to score the ball in those Houston years. Uh, Tom McGinnis, the uh, play-by-play voice of the 76ers, is our guest here on 97.3 ESPN. Um, where did you see Doc run out there and call timeout? Did you, or was yeah, that like, right, uh, yeah. what the heck's going on yeah, here? He's right in front of me. Yeah? Yeah, no, he's right in front of me. And I thought my sentiment was like, before, because you didn't know how it was going to fold. Oh, man, this is unreal. This is one of the biggest possessions of the year. And we frittered away with the out-and-half court. So that's how, that, there's two things that, you know, now that I've seen it, you're talking about getting to bed and the rest. I watched it a bunch of times. I watched the film there, Mike. Uh, one was that, Doc saving, saving that by calling timeout. Totally one of the points up here on their local so they, they air the games like they air the Turner Bulls Bucks coverage. And the second the game's over, they go to like their version of ESPN. Right. It's called Sports Center with the TRE. So they got right into that. And that, then he, he got uh, Jack Armstrong and Leo Routes on there. And that was his first question, the host. Um, kind of a smart, smart alecky Kevin Maine kind of guy or, you know, Kenny Maine kind of guy. Yeah. Anyway, he was saying like, you ran out of the coach's box. Right. And I'm like, are you serious? That's the point. I mean, yes, he did. And by the rule of the law, he did. But common sense trumps the rules. And Doc saved the day by calling that timeout. And then, you know, calling a play where Joel could turn. And then I think Nurse kind of outsmarted himself a little bit with Van Bleed in there. He's the smallest guy in the court. And when you look, if that's Chris Boucher, maybe Joel has to, you know, rise it up a little bit more or whatever. It was Van Bleed who was trying to avert the foul which allows Embiid the clearance to be able to turn and get that shot. Um, and then, too, you go back and earlier in the game, what was it? Uh, I forget if it was in the word Embiid. I think it was at the home game. Yeah, it was by their bench. That was, like, not the exact same shot, but he remember he dribbled up a little bit knowing he was going to do a pirouette deep in that corner and shoot the three. Yep. That was a similar type of shot. And, you know, Mike, that's like one we all grew up in the backyard. <laughs> Three, two, one. He took my gas party. Ah! You know what I mean? He did it for real. How cool was that? I did that the other day in my driveway. My legs still hurt. Uh, oh, sports <laughs> bag. I uh, yeah. I mean the um. Now, did you have somebody on post game last night? Who was your guest? Maxi. All I could say was Joel indeed MVP. And then I watched his post game availability, and he basically said the same thing because. A lot of adjectives. They've seen it. You know, they know. Those guys know, and they're just as mesmerized as we are with the skill set of Embiid. But, yeah, I spoke to I Tyrese Maxey postgame. Yeah. So, Maxey was your guest. Uh, Kate had Tobias on, on the TV side. Yeah. And I thought Tobias's answer was one of, hey, I've grown up. But not that he's an immature guy, but he, like, the eye-opening. He said, I'm not shooting it well tonight. So, I said... No one is scoring on me. And I don't know that anybody yeah. would see Tobias Harris have that yeah. attitude or persona no, he, before. No, I, I tell you what, Mike, like we're, we're demanding as sports fans, but being around him and being around our team, 
he's an incredible guy, you know. And look, I, I'm 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 harsh on him sometimes too, calling the games. But he made a play like a gritty Philadelphia play, and I said that at the end of the game, he got hit in the face. Well, you know, I forget, but it was at the defensive end where he got that rebound. We got some big stops, forced them to miss contested shots. That's how you win games too, right? And that was a big thing down the stretch. And you know, he he's done a terrific job against Siakam. His whole career, he's been kind of defensively challenged, and uh, that's a hard thing to get better at, right? I mean, you're you're working on your foot speed. You know, it's it's you know the lateral quickness, and Siakam's a really tough cover. And I mean, he shredded us. Speaking of that game two weeks ago, he had 37 and a triple double. Remember that? I mean, yeah. it's like, geez, how are we going to beat this team? Well, they've beaten them three times in a row. And, I mean, certainly in Philadelphia, I thought he did a great job at Van Fleet and Siakam. You know, they they didn't have big numbers yesterday, and I, I don't. Van Fleet might be a little. He rested at the end with three three games uh, resting his right knee. I'm not sure he's 100, percent but he struggled against the Sixers in that 2019 series too. So, um, you know, they're. I mean, Siakam can be dominant, and Van Fleet. How about the way he started game two? And uh, but Tobias deserves a lot of credit. And, uh, you know, he came up with a big rebound, had a chance to win it there in overtime, probably got knocked around a little bit, could have been maybe a foul. I get it. They're not sitting at the line, but he's been tremendous. And you need that. You need to me, you need all four of them, Harden, Harris, Maxine and Bead, and then sprinkle and shake and, you know, four or five other, you know, Danny Green with some threes and whatnot. You oh. need it all. Danny's been, sure. I mean, he's three threes yeah. again. Niang with three yeah. threes off the bench. And I know uh, Doc got a little testy, but you remember Greg Monroe, probably nightmares about his minutes. Well, when Joel's come off the floor, the game has not gotten away from them. So uh, that yeah, unit's done Paul, a good job. Yeah, uh, B-Ball Paul is, you know, it, it's it's hard but because you're playing. I mean, these are the biggest games he's ever played in. And to be able to settle down, and he's had, you know, it, it's it's interesting because defensively that helps you, you know what I mean? Like your quick feet, and and but offensively you got to settle into your role. You know what I mean? Like you just you have to, and that I think he's been a little bit antsy, and that's understandable. Um, but he's made great strides. He's an incredible. He's got that that motor. Yeah. And yeah, no, and, and I think Joel stints off the floor. You know, like the rest has been a little bit shorter. But, no, he, he's done a fine job. I mean, he got in foul difficulty toward the end of the regular season. There were some question marks. And now we'll see. Like, if it changes, you know, like in the next series, if, if the Sixers are able to advance and, you know, it looks like it might be Miami, uh, I don't want to get too far ahead. But that's what Doc Rivers said. He would, you know, do it per matchup. Uh, it would be more Dwayne Dedman. But, you know, I, I think there's, there's something with the way that Reed's jumping around he could play guys like yeah. Dwayne Dedman too so he's been terrific I'll tell you that and uh, there's always surprises right that a lot yeah. of times you know you put up on the whiteboard what it's going to be and then it's you know it's x y and z sometimes and that's how it goes all right Tom McGinnis uh, we'll let you get back to your Canadian fair maybe have a blue right uh, enjoy the day off you got two yeah. days off now yeah now it's a this is a, a, a neat diverse North American city. It's an incredible town for sure. They still got a lot going on up here. There's places you have to show your COVID card or your vaccination card. There's a lot of masking. It's different, but uh, it's it's a great stop. It's an it's an incredible city, and 
yeah, it's good, I think, for the team to be able to decompress. Yeah. Tomorrow we'll be shoot around, that kind of thing, because the game's so early, you won't have that. And that, you know, the preparation, look at film a little bit. I think some of the low-minute guys went and had some practice today, get a little run in, but it'll be great. Mike, thanks for having me. Tom McGinnis, everybody. Thanks, Tom. All right, bud. The voice of the Sixers right here on 97.3 ESPN. We'll have his call Tuesday, Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock, here on 97.3 ESPN. Tom McGinnis. Hey, I want to tell you about my friend, Dr. Paul Lewis, uh, South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. You know, we've been telling you about the allergy problems. You have them. I had them. If you have them, Paul Lewis can help you get rid of them like he did for me. I was allergic to all sorts of stuff, dust and mold and who even knows what else. Did a couple quick tests. I was in and out in about a half an hour. Procedure done, same day, painless. Wouldn't even know what happened to you. You could go on and live your life, do whatever you need to do. And the best part is, at the end of it, no allergies, no itchy eyes, no scratchy throat, no runny nose, no sneezing, none of that stuff. It's virtually gone. You know, you've been wanting to get a dog, but you are allergic to dog hair. Not anymore. Cat hair. Not anymore. You're allergic to shellfish, seafood, red meat. Dr. Paul Lewis can help take care of all that. Go see him. 609, excuse me, 856-285-4788. And start feeling better immediately. I do. I feel way better. I don't have those allergy issues anymore. I felt bad this weekend. People at my house running around the backyard, sneezing. Oh, my eyes are itchy. The pollen's not me. I feel great. Thanks, Dr. Paul. 856-285-4788. I know you've been hearing me and you've been thinking about it. Today's the day because those allergies are going to get bad. It's a 2 o'clock Sixer game. You might want to be out in your back porch to watch it. Don't sneeze. Don't cough. No itchy eyes. Get this procedure done. You'll feel better the same day. I'm Mike Gill. This is The Sports. Now, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. To the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. A Monday, uh, excuse me, Thursday sports bash. Monday would stink. Thursday's much better. I'm Mike Gill. Happy to have you with us. Tom McGinnis was great. Appreciate him jumping on board from Toronto. Spending a couple days in Toronto. They're off on Friday, so they'll be off tonight, tomorrow, and then Saturday, 2 o'clock in uh, Canada. You ever been to Toronto? Nope. Fantastic. I'd go back in a heartbeat. I was just going to ask you, is it fantastic I haven't been there? <laughs> no. Toronto's a great town. Loved it. Loved it. I'll have to go sometime. One of the funniest stories ever that I was a part of happened in Toronto. Oh, really? Yeah. Happened to, there was a, we were in the back of a cab. Okay. And there was a guy walking down the street, and this guy, like, nearly tripped him. He almost tripped him. Okay. Accidentally. 
So the guy started, he was like kind of angry about it. Belligerent? Yeah, he was mad that this guy almost tripped him. Well, the guy was blind, and he was walking down the street with a walking stick. Oh, come on. So my buddy was in the front seat of the cab. If you didn't tell me this was a real story, I think it was fake at this point. Yeah, my buddy was in the front seat of the cab, and he yells out the window, He's blind, you bleep! (laughs) So the guy comes running down the street trying to break into our cab. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. He's blind, like, the guy figured the guy tried to trip him with his walking stick on purpose. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so. And he's blind. Blind guy tries to trip you on purpose. Couldn't see you, buddy. Sorry. Sorry. You're in my way. <laughs> you were in my way. Right, exactly. We were on our way to Wayne Gretzky's having lunch at Wayne Gretzky's. How was that? Yeah, it was like like Planet Hollywood or any of those, like, chain okay. places, you know. Nothing, nothing really to write home about that. Nah, not bad. Just like a themed restaurant. Wayne Gretzky gotcha. in Toronto makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. So we were going to uh, Blue Jays game. Yeah, went to uh, back then it was Sky Dome. I think it's called the Rogers Center. Still. Yeah, the Rogers. Is it still Center that. Now. Yeah. How about McGinnis? How detailed he was about how the Sports Center up there spelled with the R E Sports yep. Center. You know, like stuff like that. Uh, good stuff from him. Text messages 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Uh, Mike, Paul Reed is good against small ball teams but lacks the size to match up with big bigs. Well, luckily, Toronto nor Miami have big bigs. Yeah, neither one of those teams have, like, I mean, I mean who even has a big big in the East at this point? I mean, I guess the Nets got Drummond. But, like, even the Celtics don't have big bigs. Yeah, but Drummond's the starter. When they go, right. when they take him off the floor, they're really it. small. Yeah. So there really isn't a big team you would face in the East anyway. So I'm not fully sure what the point of that text is. <laughs> well, I don't know how deep everybody's going on everybody's roster. I don't know. Would you consider Lopez to be a big, big, even though he. He's a seven-footer, but he doesn't really play big. Yeah, he doesn't really bang down low. He's, at this point, mostly just a three-point shooter who's a pretty good, uh, you know, weak-side rebounder. So, I mean, I guess he's the one significant big. Bobby Portis? Portis is what, 6'10"? Yeah, I mean, he's more of an athletic big, so he would not qualify. Serge Ibaka, he doesn't get a lot of minutes. He gets enough minutes to, you know, be a guy. But even Abak is not like a seven, you know, foot big guy. He's nah. more of a perimeter player. Yeah, he's a he's a six ten. Abak is there more for defense anyway. Yeah, I think I think he says that that was his way to kind of like deflect it and get it like out there. But I don't think he would actually go back to DeAndre Jordan at this time. Uh, I would we'll hope see. not. All right, more Sports Bash on the way. Coming up next hour, uh, Football at Four is here. Andrew DiCecco will take a look at some of the safety prospects, corner prospects in the draft. I want to get his thoughts on Debo Samuel. And by the way, the date for the schedule release has been announced. The NFL schedule will be out on May the 12th, so you can find out which Eagles road game you want to go to. Coincidentally, I'm looking for caller number seven. 
and you can win an Eagles road trip. Caller 7-609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller 7. You are entered in for a chance to win an Eagles road trip to the game of your choice. It includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. You must be present to win at Slack Tide Brewing Company, 1072 Route 83, Cape May Courthouse. The trip is courtesy from our friends at Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Check out their line of Philly Sports Trips planned at phillysportstrips.com. Food that day will be provided by Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller 7. Good luck. Andrew to check now. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. To the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Sports Bash with you here on a Thursday. I'm Mike Gill. Don't forget, the Caesar Sportsbook is giving feast to new users. And by feast, I mean $250 Uber Eats gift cards. Here's how it works. Just bet $50 total, win or lose. You get a $250 digital card for Uber Eats. Make sure to use the promo code Radio Eat. That's the promo code Radio Eat. That's one word. You must be 21, physically present in New Jersey. New customers with eligible promo code only, real money wagers only that have minimum odds of minus 200. The $250 gift card redemption code and steps to redeem the gift card will be sent via email within 72 hours. Uber gift card terms and conditions apply. See Caesars.com slash promo for full terms. Voidboard prohibited. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Caesar Sportsbook. Download it, people. I'm Mike Gill. Josh Henning is my producer, and there's a lot of big stories going on, man. This uh, sports world has just been tipped on its head in these NBA playoffs and baseball and everything else. The schedule's coming out. You see what the NFL's doing with the schedule? I've seen bits and pieces of it. I feel like that's where you want to go first, so I'll let you go ahead. Well, I was seeing, I know you're a big NFL guy. Uh, They're letting the schedule out. They're now having a series of dates for the schedule. They're going to announce the Thursday night Amazon games on April 28th. Okay. On May 4th, they're going to announce the opponents for the international games. And then on May 12th, they're going to do the whole schedule. I saw they're doing the whole schedule May 12th. It, I, the way my phone works is I can only have a certain number of things open on certain apps at the same time. So, But that's interesting. They're going to release it in tiers. Yeah. Um, now, is there going to be a uh, NFL Network special for each I was going to say, they're going to do a network special, prime time. The Amazon release. For the week the two Thursday release. game on Amazon. <laughs> I can totally see them doing a now special. I, from what I understand, everything's a special. the now. game that's on Amazon, it will be on TV in your local market. That is correct. So, What the, channel? Uh, I think that depends on what your local agreement is. For our area, that would usually be either ABC or NBC. Gotcha. Uh, depending on... So, like, for example, if the Eagles are on Monday night 
Football, which is typically on ESPN, then it's on ABC, for example. I don't know who Amazon's, like, handoff would be. I'm assuming it's going to be one of those networks already has NFL games. So the NFL's got to figure that out. But I've, from what I've read, if you are in a local market, for example, an Eagles game on Thursday night, and you don't have Amazon, you can still watch your team's game. So at least they didn't, you know, go basically, you know, pull a fast one on everybody with that. You know, they, they kept the blackout rule aspect in there for that. Unless it's on NFL Network, not everybody has that. Well, they, they had to change the rule because there were teams that were complaining that the NFL Network only games with a problem. So in the last decade, they've changed that rule to allow the localized broadcast. So even if, for example, it's only supposed to be an NFL Network game, you can watch it in your local market because teams gave the NFL some pushback and the NFL realized that you know, marketing their own network was getting old. Yeah. Well, that's uh, one of the stories that jumped out to me. What do you got? I want to start with Devin Booker. It looks like he's going to miss three weeks. Oh, geez. Uh, according to a report from Yahoo Sports and ESPN's Brian Windhorst, he suffered a grade one hamstring oh, strain. Oh, oh, debilitating. And he's expected to be out until at least May. So this isn't just a couple games here, like Luca or possibly Chris Middleton. This is a multiple weeks situation for the Suns. Uh, that's that is a huge loss for them. Huge loss for them. Look, I think they'll get by the Pelicans in round one, but they're going to have to play the winner of the Golden State Denver series. So they're going to play the Nuggets. I mean, they're going to play the Warriors. Warriors. I don't think they're beating the Warriors without Booker. You win sixty four games. You're by far the best team in the league, and this happens. Awful. You should go get a Warriors uh, win the West ticket right now. Props. Oh, man. That's a good point. So here's the question. (laughs) He played all year, right? He played like they didn't sit him. They didn't. um, uh, He had a couple games he didn't play. They didn't load manage him all the time. Right. He ended up getting hurt. So is this an eye opener to say, hey, if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt? I think it's. Or is it a precursor to make teams even more? cautious. I hope not. I'm going to assume that people are going to be like, look, he didn't get injured to the postseason and it was a fluke thing anyway. It wasn't It wasn't like, you know, he stepped you know, on you know, like he had like a non-contact injury with the knee rips apart you know, or something like that. You know, things happen. I think you gotta accept that. Yeah, I think this is a good example of that. Is that you're gonna, if you're gonna get hurt, you're gonna get hurt. He just got hurt randomly in a playoff game. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a shame that they're probably not going to get back to the NBA Finals now because of this. That stinks because that team does it the right way. They play their guys. They, you know, that's a shame. Yeah, I, I'm going to say, and look, I don't know that they beat the Pelicans now. It's a good question. And even this series up, McCollum is tough. I mean, people forget the Pelicans traded for McCollum. They were kind of forgotten about. And they just ran into the postseason. Basically. And they, they were out of the postseason. They jumped into the play-in game, and then yeah. here they are. Um, I think if I remember correctly, they said on SportsCenter that they were like, what, five games out of the play-in tournament before they got the column, and since then, they have won like the top five. Well, hold on a second, hold on a second. Golden State, Denver is 3-6. They would play the winner of the 4-5. 
Okay, so four five. That's Utah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mass. It's 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 Utah Dallas. Well, the Suns might get lucky then because that series is probably going to go seven at this point. Yeah. I um yeah. Phoenix is one. They would play the four five. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. That's my thing. Well, they would probably logistically face the Warriors in the final, and maybe Booker's back by then. But yeah, but he, don't if know. you're saying three weeks, he should be back then. But if they get out of the Pelican series, their best case scenario is that they get out of the Pelican series in seven games mm. to push that series back. <laughs> Just keep delay, 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 delay. right? <laughs> yeah, I think Dallas could still beat them if Luke is healthy. Luke is supposed to be back, right? So this is interesting. So Woj is reporting that sources are telling him that there is some doubt about Luca playing tonight. But earlier today, Jason Kidd told the media that Luca was a game time decision. Same thing. That's the coach speak against the real report. So read into that what you will. I just did. That's coach speak against the real report. The coach doesn't want it out, so he's saying game time decision. Well, he's saying a game time decision because, so for those who don't know, before they spoke to Jason Kidd, the media got into the practice facility, yeah. and they got a good eye of Luca doing a bunch of stuff. And they were like, hey, Jason, he looks pretty good. I don't think Woj is going to just make some random bleep up. No, no, he's not. I just think it's interesting how the narrative is. On social media is. Yeah, I mean, significant pessimism that he'll be ready to play for game three. Yeah. The, so. the hope all along was that Luka was to return for some game in this series, and the Mavs are just trying to stay float long enough. I'm assuming they're going to lose the game three because it's in Utah. So maybe Luka comes back for game four, and you're like, hey, Luka's back. Did you see what Shaquille O'Neal says on the Pivot podcast? Shaquille O'Neal seemingly is ever. He was just on uh, NBA Today. Today, today. Yeah. Um, You know, he's been all over the place. No, I did not see what he said on the pivot. So, Who's the host of the pivot? Uh, I actually, it, it looks like it's Fred Taylor. How about, and, the running back? Yeah. Fred Taylor's on the pivot. Host of the pivot podcast. How about them? Um, Shaquille went on to explain that he has three major regrets in his life. He said the biggest mistake of his life was how he handled the Penny Hardaway relationship. The second biggest mistake was how he handled the Kobe Bryant relationship. And the third biggest mistake after those two was how he should have known better and how he lived his life overall and been a little bit smarter off the court. With what, his money? No, his lifestyle. Partying too much? Yeah. That's um, interesting because keep in mind, if the Sixers win this series, they most likely would go to South Beach. And this morning, I think it was Michael Wilbon who said that B.J. Armstrong used to tell him the team that that wins the NBA title is the team that gets the most sleep. In other okay. words, they're not out partying. Right. So keep that in mind with the Sixers series. James Harden in South Beach. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Stephen A. told an interesting story, too, about how Iverson one year, I guess, was going to be like, okay, I want to win. I'm going to go home early. I'm gonna, and he had a horrible game. So the next night he stayed out all night long, and he put up 58 the next day. <laughs> I think it was Jordan's story, you know, when he went out. Some guys could just do it. 
I'm not one of those guys. Yeah, I'm not. I'm either. not staying out all night and performing at anything the next day. Shaq said, cool. I don't like to make excuses, but I had a lot going on off the court. I was arrogant. I was dumb. And sometimes you do a lot of stuff you don't want to at work so you can go do other stuff. Huh. Unquote. I'm sure a lot of these guys have similar regrets looking back. Shaq says, Toward the end, Shaq was a waste. Well, he just couldn't do anything anymore. Yeah, he was but, out of shape. He was just... Yeah. And Shaq, basically, for those who haven't read the Jeff Perlman book, and Shaq uh, apparently is confirming some of the details in this podcast of what happened. Um, by the way, another host of the podcast is Channing Crowder. I haven't heard that name forever. But anyway, um, basically, Shaq was explaining in this podcast that... In the aftermath of winning his first MVP with the Lakers in the first championship, he went on this downhill trajectory where eventually he couldn't stay in shape. He had a, a divorce in his personal life, okay, that took about three years to finalize. And Shaq says that, you know, there were a lot of things he could have done better overall in his personal life that would have made him a better player on the court. Yeah, I mean... If you're out partying and doing all that stuff, you're not going to be as good of a player. Especially for a big guy. I mean, he got big. He ballooned. Oh, yeah. Late in his career. Jack says that he got greedy. He said, quote, I had the perfect situation. My wife was finer than a mug, and I didn't treat her right. My career was at the all-time high. I could have been one of the greatest of all time. He still was. Shaq thinks he could have been better. Probably. How think how good do you think Shaq could have been if he would have stayed in shape? Well, I mean, Shaq's one of those guys. You wonder what he would have been like in today's game. I mean, he just would have dominated dunk. He doesn't shoot. He couldn't shoot two feet out of the paint. No, he can't. That's why that commercial is funny with um, him and Seth Curry, where he's asking Seth Curry for free, show, free throw shooting advice. Yeah. Uh, really quick before we get out of here, I want to get a little hockey on you. There's a Zamboni driver for the Detroit Red Wings who's a cult legend in Detroit named Al Zabaka. He was fired recently, and now he is filing a discrimination lawsuit against the owners of the Detroit Red Wings, Olympia Entertainment, following 51 years with the Red Wings. His lawyer has said that he has a health condition that causes him to frequently urinate. Zabaka, 68, couldn't get to a restroom in time, so he urinated in a drain that carries an ice runoff from the Zamboni machine inside the arena. Someone saw him, reported him in February, and instead of them discussing with him the situation, he was fired with no warning and no second chance. You would... The the team didn't know that he had this condition? Olympia Entertainment refuses to comment on the matter to the public and says that they will see... Sabaka and his lawyers in court. Sabaka is known for removing the octopi from the ice when fans throw it on the Detroit ice. He's been working at Lewis Arena and now Little Caesars Arena 51 years on the Zamboni. He is one of the most beloved figures in Detroit Red Wings fandom. What a story that is. I don't know how that gets rectified. (laughs) What kind of medical condition would cause you to urinate constantly? Maybe you have a a prostate issue. Maybe you have a bladder condition. (laughs) 
68-year-old. He couldn't get to the restroom, so he urinated in a drain that carries ice runoff, <laughs> and somebody saw him and yes. reported it. You would think that the people of the, the of Detroit Red Wings would say, hey, we got it. We know he has a... Right. Somebody even has something out for this guy. All right, we're going to talk a little NBA playoffs on the other side. Uh, Keith Smith, SpotTrack.com, covers the NBA. Uh, get his thoughts on that Celtics-Net series, what he saw from Philadelphia last night. Did they finally grow up before our very eyes? Keith Smith, coming up. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 447, the NBA playoffs continue tonight on 97.3 ESPN. We got Minnesota-Memphis, great series, underrated. Last night, some of the heavyweights, Boston, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Toronto, in our market. Keith Smith's going to break them down with us. SpotTrack.com. Booker's out for a little while here. How does that change? That series, Middleton, he could be out too. We've got some interesting changes to these first-round series, Keith Smith. What's going on? Hey, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're already seeing, like, like every year, uh, injuries are starting to really make a big uh, you know, impact on these playoffs. Big time. And uh, let's start with the Philly win last night. I, You know, it kind of mapped out perfectly. You had the 7 o'clock Boston Nets game. You got to see the first half of that. I flipped over to the Sixer game. That went to half. Flipped back over. Fourth quarter of the Celtics. Flipped back over. Got the end of the Sixers. So you got to see a bunch of that stuff there. Uh, obviously, Embiid's the winner of the night. He hits the shot. Everybody's talking about it. And it was that moment. The Sixers, Keith, we've been talking for years. They lose that game every time. Was that finally that moment where the Sixers have maybe grown up? Yeah, I think so. I think there's something to that for sure. It feels like there is a sense of here we go again when things go a little bit sideways. And this time around, they they, they didn't. They 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 went there, you know, and uh, you know, much maligned Doc Rivers, you know, with the key timeout call and and then Embiid with the big shot, and and it's good to see Embiid make that shot after taking maybe a questionable shot at the, you know, end of regulation that uh, people weren't a huge fan of. So, I, they, you know, all around good stuff for Philly. Um, obviously, it's 3-0. That series seems to be uh, in, you know, control for them now. Does this Philly team look like a team that is ready to make that next step? In other words, are they ready to get out of that second-round area? Do they still have, even though they're up 3-0, do they have too many questions still? Um, I think they can take that next step. I think, you know, presuming it's Miami that they get next, it's going to be difficult. The, the, the Heat are a much stiffer challenge than this pretty limited Raptors group is, especially without Scotty Barnes. And, you know, they, they, they faced a pretty banged up and, you know, thick group in the, in the first a couple of games. But that, now we'll, we'll see. Now, now you get back to, to, to work here. And, you know, it's, I think it's important to get this game closed out or get the series closed out, rather, with a game four win. You don't want to mess around and have to go back and play another game that's just, you know, inviting trouble to come in. So get it closed out and yeah. then then uh, get, get back to work and get after it against um, 
uh, Miami likely in the second round, and that's going to be a really stiff challenge for Philadelphia. Keith, you watch a lot of basketball. Have you seen a guy grow up as quickly and as much as Maxi has? Uh, very few. I mean, he went from being a major, major question mark uh, coming into the season of, you know, hey, is this guy ready for this? And now he's, you know, a key player on this team. Um, you know, he has played outstanding basketball all season long. And it's really cool to see it carry over to the playoffs because all too often uh, we'll see these guys, they become regular season heroes. Draymond Green's famous. There's 82 game players and 16 game players. And, and some guys are 82 game players. And, but to see Maxi just kind of do this, it's really great. But beyond that, to see the tra- trust and faith his teammates and coaches have in him to just kind of say, Hey, let, let him go. Cause it'd be very easy for James Harden to say, all right, young fella, move aside. I, I got this. And Harden seems content to say, all right, man, you got the matchup. You know, go, go cook. You know, go, go get it done. Yeah, that's uh, been one of the things is that Harden seems like he's willing to kind of acquiesce to Maxie. Hey, Maxie, you want to be the scorer? I'll pass it to you. And that's been a big storyline here. Keith Smith, Boston and Brooklyn. Um, man, there's so many questions on this one. But the main storyline seems to be... Uh, that the student is beating the pupil, even though the pupil doesn't have a lot of experience here. Uh, you're taking a look at a Boston team that just seems more prepared. Yeah, Ime Udoka has these guys playing really good basketball. And, and I think what's really important is the Celtics know exactly who they are now on both ends of the floor. They only play eight guys. They'll play nine if Robert Williams can get back um, or when he gets back. And they're, But that's it. The rest of the guys know, hey, I'm here as deep depth if somebody's out or if there's really bad foul trouble or an injury or something like that. But it's going to be those eight, nine guys. And because of that, they don't have any uh, real weak links in their rotation. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody plays it really well, and they do their things. And, and he knows the net. Uh, quite well from his time there as an assistant coach. So that's really t- helping, uh, you know, pay off as well because he kind of knows, all right, these are all the tricks and this is what they want to get up to when they really need a hoop. Um, the way they're defending Durant, is this sustainable? Can they do that on the road? I mean, does it depend on the ref, uh, who the, the crew is? Uh, how do you kind of read into all Durant has not played well? Yeah, they are uh, pushing the limits of they can't call every foul uh, in this. I mean, they are beating the ever-living crap out of Kevin Durant <laughs> on just about every every play. I mean, it, it's simple things like, all right, I'm going to go from the right block to the left block. He's getting popped by at least two guys as he tries to get over there. And, and Ime Udoka said, yeah, it's costing us some fouls. But it's the way we think is the best way to play him. And, and I think what they're looking at is, they came into this series knowing Kevin Durant, since he came back from injury, because of where the Nets were in the standings, just battling for the chance to get a better play-in position, he's played upwards of 40, 45 minutes a night for a good solid couple months now. And he's doing that again in this playoff series. And I think they know, hey, beat him up, and maybe by the time we get down the stretch, he's not going to have a lot left. Now, he took 20 free throws in, in Game 2. But they're willing to concede some of that to keep him off the boards uh, as far as being a jump shooter and the scoring that he does otherwise. Uh, Keith Smith with us, talk a little NBA. Uh, there's so many storylines. Let's go to um, Milwaukee loses last night, but maybe the Middleton story could be the bigger piece of this whole puzzle. Yeah, it absolutely is. They, you know, losing one game or you're the defending champions, you would hope you'd be able to bounce back from that. But losing Chris Middleton is really tough. And, and I think this Bulls team is going home 
feeling a little like, and we let it slip. We should be up 2 0 because they uh, got a Bucks team that did not play well in game one at all. The Bulls just played worse. They, they, they could not hit a shot to save their lives. So I think they're really looking at this as we've got something here. And if Middleton's going to be out, which we're still waiting on the official word, but there's some stuff that's come out in the Milwaukee area that it sounds like this could be a three or four week injury, which would match some of the timelines that you heard with a sprained MCL when it was announced that's what was going on. That's going to be really tough because this Bulls team is, is a lot tougher than I think people think because they slid so far in the standings when they didn't have Alex Crusoe. They clearly haven't had Lonzo Ball. They've been pretty banged up, but healthy, they, they can challenge. So Milwaukee's got their work cut out for them just to get out of the first round now. Yeah, that uh, definitely got interesting. They lost the game at home. We'll see what happens there. Memphis, Minnesota tonight, not the glamorous one, but might be the most fun. Yeah, people need to watch this series because this is a blast. I mean, these are two teams that they, they are going at it. They're talking trash. I mean, you've got dads talking trash with with each other from John Moran and Carl Anthony Towns. Two dads are getting into it, which is a lot of fun, too. So, yeah, you've got that, and you've got some really good uh, young star power on the court. You've got you know John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr. on one side, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards on the other. Uh, the Memphis is, is built with then after their two stars, their role players know exactly what's asked of them. Uh, Minnesota's depth is a little more challenged, but they've got the Angela Russell who can have some big games. They've got guys who kind of you know will, will go out there and work as hard as they can. So it's been a fun series, and, and it's been up and down, which is a lot of fun. So people should be watching this one. If you, if you just you know want to watch a fun basketball game with really nothing to root for other than you know having a good time, this is a series for you. Oh yeah, Edwards Morant, that's the future. Those two guys are fun to watch. Dallas and Utah. We'll see what happens with Luka, but it's still 1-1 without him here. Yeah, Utah's in, in some trouble here. They, they needed to get both of those games in, in Dallas. And the fact that they're struggling this badly to put the Mavs, they, they barely got through game one, and they could not win game two. And, and struggling this badly with Luka out, it's not good. It's, you know, this Utah team has problems. I think we're going to see that maybe they get through this series, pending when Luka gets back, if he gets back. Maybe they get through this, but if they get up against Phoenix, who will probably win against Pelicans, they're they're probably going to really you know have to have things go absolutely perfect for them to win that series. And if it doesn't, then I think you're going to see Danny Ainge, who it's important to remember he didn't draft any of these guys, he didn't sign them, he only traded for a couple of them at the end of the bench uh, at this trade deadline. There's no attachment there to those guys. There's no attachment to the coaching staff. He's going to make major changes. And we know Danny Ainge more so than anybody else. He's not going to have any sentimentality about, well, you know, this guy's been here a long time. doesn't matter. We're trying to win a championship, move him on. If that gets us closer, that's the best thing. All right, last one real quick. Uh, Suns, uh, Booker out a couple weeks now. Can they get out of this first round? Is this team, unfortunately, uh, not going to have enough now to, to make a run? If they are who we think they are, they should be able to get past the Pelicans. They should have enough depth to be able to get that done and move on in that series. But the challenge, I think, for them is it's just going to be harder now. Now they're going to have to work harder. Uh, the Pelicans getting that win in Game 2 in Phoenix. They're coming back home with a ton of confidence. They're going to be uh, flying when they get home. That, that atmosphere is going to be really fun. And there's a lot of people who are you know trying to inspire that team to believe. So it's going to be harder for Phoenix. They still should be the better team. But, but let's see where this goes because this is going to be something they're going to have to really work through now. Yeah, we'll see if he gets back in time to play in that second round right away. Oh. Keith Smith, at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. SpotTrack.com. The NBA playoffs tonight. Memphis, Minnesota. 
Minnesota right here on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always good. Good conversation on the NBA playoffs. Let's switch gears to some football. All right, there's our pick your trip sounder. Caller 7, where are you at? 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller number 7, you're entered for a chance to win a trip for two to the Eagles road game of your choice. It includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game you pick. You must be present to win at Slack Tide Brewing Company in Cape May Courthouse. And the trip is all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrip.com. Brought to you, food brought to you that day by Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Hey, Caller 7, we'll see you next week at Slack Tide Brewing Company. Caller 7, good luck. Coach Jimmy Lynham joins me next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Into the corner, Danny Green shot up. It's good! Danny Green, a triple! He burns his old team from the left corner. Embiid with the dish, 90-90. That tied it up, that Danny Green three, and then after that, Joel Embiid won it. You heard it right here on 97.3 ESPN. Tom McGinnis on the call. And then on the postgame last night, you heard Jimmy Lynham, the coach, Mark Jackson, Amy Fadol break it down on Sixers postgame live. We'll get some more perspective as the dust has settled. As uh, That's a game, Coach, that I think the Sixers have lost probably 50 times since uh, Joel has been here, but they found a way to finally pull it out last night. And uh, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing, but that's the sign of growing up, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a good description, Mike. They found the way. It wasn't, you know, their, their best. I mean, they didn't, I thought their, their offensive game uh, in terms of shooting the ball was pretty decent. Uh, the problem was they, they turned it over at such an excessive rate that, Normally, that's enough to do you in. Yeah, you tell, you talk about the shooting. I mean, they shot over 40% from three-point range again. 47 in game two, 50% in game three. You keep wondering, at one of these games, you're not going to be able to shoot the lights out. But I guess Harden and Embiid are giving these guys such open looks, and they're knocking them down. Yeah, I, I ran some numbers before the playoffs started, and I think, uh, I think I'm right. Um that since Harden has come, if you go from that point to the end of the season, what I think he was here for a period of 24 games, maybe played 21 of them. They are the best three-point shooting team in the league uh, and, and the highest scoring team uh, for that period of time. Uh, Harden, Harden coach does a lot for this team. What have you seen? Um, because he's he's not the guy that we saw in Houston who was scoring at will. He's really kind of morphed into um, a, a different type of player. Yeah, I'm going to steal your phrase. I like that. I, I, I used the phrase the other night that I think uh, what we're watching, literally he's reinventing himself, to your point, morphing in front of our eyes. And I think it's a real tribute to him. Uh, number one, it shows you how talented he is that he can have this impact on a game as a floor general. I mean, we knew he was a good passer. I didn't know how good. I mean, he's an elite, elite playmaker. 
and his ability to run run the team and manage the game is at such a level uh, that he's, um, I mean, he's as instrumental as he would be, in my opinion, if he were scoring 30 a game in a somewhat effective manner, meaning shooting a, a good percentage. So he won't get you 15 by accident, but uh, that, that's, the real story is the way he gets these other guys shot. Well, I guess, uh, and you've obviously, you know, been on the sideline. You've coached. Um, I guess take us inside the mind of a guy who's watching a young player grow up before your eyes. Because sometimes coaches are reluctant to put on their plate a lot. It seems that Harden, coach, is saying, I'm going to put it on your plate. I'm trusting you, kid. Run with it. Yeah, in, in the case of, of Maxie, I think you're right. Uh, I think it, it, it started with, you know, Doc uh, being hard on him at the end of last season, you know, telling him plain and simple that the reason we, you know, don't play you more uh, is because you don't make enough shots and give Maxie credit. I mean, they say that, that this guy, you literally have to throw him out of the gym. And I will tell you this, uh, I mean, I, I'm not just speaking – like nonsense. I've never seen anybody improve their shooting this much in this period of time. I mean, this guy was the third best percentage three shooter in the NBA. This is this is a kid who, what, two years ago at this time, he was not a top, top guy to select, I think, 21 in the draft because he couldn't shoot. Yeah. And you go from that in two years' time to the third best percentage, and, and this is no aberration. I mean, this is who this guy is. Doc Rivers and the coaches, they now call him, you know, he's a knockdown shooter. And that's, you know, the highest praise you give a guy. Yeah, third in the league in three-point percentage this year. Jimmy Lynam's our guest here. Uh, Sixers win last night. So many storylines that uh, it's great to kind of get your perspective on because there are so many different things happen. You're watching Joel kind of take that, you know, grab this team and drag it with them. You saw the morphine of Harden has turned into more of a facilitator than this score. Maxie's this young kid. But then there's Tobias Harris. I thought what he told, I guess, Kate and Allah last night, which was, hey, my shot wasn't going, so I said no one's going to score on me. And to take that mentality, you know, that's a shift in mentality for an NBA player to say, my shot's not there tonight, but I'm going to defend. And this guy's defense has really <laughs> bailed this team out at times. Yeah, I would say he had a terrific uh, play uh, like late in the game that I thought was pivotal to – setting themselves up for the win uh, when he kind of half-stripped, half-blocked Gary Trent Jr. I think it was a tie game at, at that point. But, um, yeah, he's been he's been terrific. And if you look at the numbers, uh, Pascal Siakam is the high scorer on Toronto's team. And, you know, he's shooting in the 30% range, you know, maybe 36 37% over the three games. And a lot of that defense is directly attributable to Tobias Harris. So uh, you're on point that on a night where he didn't feel he was, he made, let's say, a big factor offensively. He found other ways. He got 12 rebounds. He found other ways to contribute. Yeah, he sure did. And he's done it all series. He's hit the shots uh, in the game one. He hit a bunch of threes. He hit three out of three in game two. Last night, his offense wasn't quite there. He makes a couple of key stops. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, you got a guy – um, like Danny Green, who's knocking down jumpers, too. I mean, he's getting the looks, and he's knocking them down. He's been maligned at times, but having that veteran guy out there, when he's in that corner, uh, having that extra having that extra weapon in your back pocket seems to be really completing this offense. 
Yeah, and uh, I think you got to, again, go back and give Doc Rivers some credit. There was no doubt that uh, Danny Green was his guy. Uh, Green was injured, you know, for that stretch late in the season. And you could see, Doc, uh, they were bringing him along, you know, because they knew they wanted to rely on him come play. And, uh, you know, Danny Green has more than delivered. You know, he's a, he's going to – the, the moment will never be too big for him. He's a He's an established high-level three-point shooter. He knows how to guard. He might not still have the old, you know, lateral foot quickness, uh, but his savvy and his experience and just the moment, as I say, never being too big, he's invaluable. No question, uh, Coach. And you look at, uh, obviously, no um, Thibault last night. Uh, they had to change a little bit, but I think Doc kind of almost prepared for it by starting Danny the last couple of games, and then he seemingly, you know, scaled back Thibel's minutes in uh, the two home games here and let Danny kind of get a big run in, in anticipation for this. But you talked about Doc and, you know, bring us inside the mind of a coach when you have to call timeout in that moment because sometimes you got to have, you know, the chutzpah sometimes to just do it. Sometimes you're like, ah, these guys are the players. They're the professionals. Let them do it. But for him to go out there and, and aggressively call that timeout, uh, it was a huge factor in that game, obviously. It was, Mike, and I have to be honest, watching, when I heard the whistle, I thought the whistle was a 24-second violation because I knew that shot clock was that low. And then you know, I'm looking at the screen. I see Doc on the sideline. Then I look at the shot clock, nine-tenths of a second. I mean, to have the, you know, the where with I could just picture myself there. Oh, no, with a 24-second violation. No, he, he had the presence of mind call it even though it's only nine tenths of a second you know your chances of success in that situation you know are pretty slim but give him credit and again i don't think doc gets anywhere near the credit he deserves this is against nick nurse now i'm a nick nurse fan but i know i you know the sentiment here in philadelphia this was a coaching mismatch well i got news for you with nine tenths of a second six or ball out of bounds last night it was a coaching mismatch in favor of doc rivers that's just simply fact. He, he designed, I, I tell you what I did when I came home, 2 o'clock in the morning when I got to the shore. I put that late uh, stage of the game on, and I fussed with my remote. And I could send you the picture. You ready? With nine-tenths of a second, they got the ball to their best player, and I with a frozen frame on the screen, right, I took the picture. Joel Embiid is in the air by himself shooting a what is a virtual horse shot two defenders are standing like three feet away on either side let me tell you that doesn't happen by accident it was uh the whole situation you're right the cult like because i guess you get kind of gun shy a little bit like you don't want to pull the trigger while you're in the moment and and the whole thing it's just like should i do it should i do it fine time out time out like the whole thing and then the play that he draws up he gets the action going one way joel slips off i mean it was just a, a sequence that yeah, you're right, and, and, and but quite frankly, I think the Sixers have looked like the more prepared team in all three games. And you can speak on this, Coach. How little practice you get in season, and then adding a player as opposed to having that whole week off to prepare. It seems that that week allowed them to really have a mini training camp. No, you're. I think you're right on. I mean, I wasn't. Uh, in the building, but I, you know, talked to these guys and I know what their intent was, meaning the coaches. And I think that's what they accomplished. And I, I tell you what I also like, Mike, I like the way I, 
I spoke to Sam Casal after game one, I guess. And I, I said, you know, I listened to the players. And a lot of times, if you listen to the players, and enough of them, you'll get a sense of what the coaches said to the players. And after game one, there was no doubt in my mind what they stressed. They, that they technically did some things like that little, they call one-two pick and roll, Maxie and Harden running the pick and roll. That was a new wrinkle that caused some problems for Toronto. But what they really stressed was the two things, if you're going to beat Toronto, two things that they're really, really good at. Number one, they turn you over. They're the second-best team in the league at scoring points off turning the other teams, forcing turnovers. And they stress that to the players. I mean, at halftime, I almost fell on my chair. I was getting ready to go down to do the halftime hit. And I looked at my computer, and I, I yelled out. I said to, to Mark Jackson and Amy Fadul, I said, how many turnovers do the Sixers have? And they both turned and looked at me. I said, don't look. None. Zero. <laughs> and none the first half. Now, come on. With a week of stressing, we can't turn it over. Your team has zero. If you don't think that's relating to your team and coaching them and getting their concentration and focus where it needs to be, it's the offensive board. Yeah, you know, these, are, these are not areas that you know automatically correct themselves, but you can if you get your players' attention and say, this is what we need to do, these couple of things, and we'll win this series. So I think Doc's been right on point. Um. Going for the sweep, 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon. I don't love that time, and I don't love having two days off to do it. The mind can wander a little bit. You're in Canada. There's a lot to do up there. Uh, what are these next two days like for Doc and his team? Yeah, they probably don't do uh, much of anything today, to tell you the truth. Um, and then, you know, they'll they'll get back to it in a light manner what, on Friday. I think the biggest thing, it probably uh, benefits, I mean, no team that stayed out front, no team in the history of the NBA has ever come back, ever. No. Ever, as in, I don't know what the number on the left 143 and 0. All right. I know the number on the right, it's a zero. <laughs> so, uh, the, the good thing for Toronto, you get an extra day, and they really need Scotty Barnes. I mean, he's a key part of their team, so it increases the chance he could play. Uh, but the Sixers are, you know, the whether they get charity or not, I can't tell you for sure. Uh, they'll certainly try to close it out. It's, it's going to be a difficult game, just like I felt last night's would be a difficult game. But uh, they, they, if they don't get it, you know, they have two more cracks at it in Philly. And I'd be pretty confident they would accomplish it on Monday if, in fact, they don't get it Saturday. Uh, the last time the Sixers had a four-game sweep, Jim Lynham was the coach. Did you know that? Oh, wow. I don't even know who that was. <laughs> you beat the Bucks, ninety-one. Oh, wow, wow! Four games to none. You knocked them out, swept them. It's not easy to sweep, but it would be nice to get that extra week off because then you get another week to kind of uh, put in a. We get to see some more wrinkles from Doc. Yeah, no, uh, you know, rest. Uh, I think the key guy for me in terms of rest, obviously, you know, Joel. But you know what? You make a good point because I was looking at those minutes last night. Now, again, it was an overtime game, but eight of the ten starters on these two teams played the, the, the least number any of the eight played was 44 minutes. I mean, that's that's some serious action in a high-level 
intense physical game like we witnessed. By the way, it was a three-game sweep. It was a five-game series. So Yeah, I, you know what? Because you credit me with the extra wins, I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> the last <laughs> well the last back, four back games was, the last four-game sweep was against the Bucks in 85, but the last they did sweep the Bucks in three games in 91. Were you on the 85 okay. staff? Were you an assistant on that team in 85? Uh, yes. You know, uh, that's a good question. I'm yes. bad with years and where I was. Uh, I you, need a road you, That was your first you year there. So it was either the first 85, 86. I don't know if it was 84, 85. But regardless, you swept we the lost. Bucks. We lost in seven games in Milwaukee. There you go. All right. Well, I remember the game. Jim Lynham, you drove all the way down the shore after the game last night? Yeah, I mean, I was wired. I wasn't going to sleep till sun come up anyway. So, uh, yeah, better to watch it come up over the ocean. <laughs> I like that. All right, two days off. Uh, the guys uh, are back at it on uh, Saturday, 2 o'clock. Amy Fadol, Mark Jackson, Jim Lynham, pre- and post-game, and they'll have you all the way through all the playoffs, uh, even once the uh, broadcast of the games is off NBC Sports. They'll still do pre- and post-game, so make sure you keep those guys dialed in. It's always great to catch up with you, Coach. I appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. Good talking. All right. Jim Lynham, of course, uh, Sixers pre- and post-game live. You can check out on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Yeah, he was the coach of the 1991 Philadelphia 76ers. And that was, uh, I guess, Charles Barkley on that team, right? 91 would be Barkley. Who else is on that team? 91 Sixers. And you're taking me back to uh, my, I guess I was, what, uh, an eighth uh, freshman in high school or something like that, 1991 Sixers. You're looking at, let's see, 91. They beat the Bucks in the first round. This is one of, one of my favorite teams ever. It was uh, Charles Barkley, Johnny Dawkins, Hersey Hawkins, Rick Mahorn, Mike Jaminski. I, I reference this team all the time because the only guy that got any minutes off the bench was Ron Anderson. That's it. Hersey Hawkins. Um, I loved Hersey Hawkins. He wasn't as good as I had hoped, but he was still pretty good. Like he was. Um, you had Charles Barkley. You had Armin Gilliam came in on that team. Johnny Dawkins, Rick Mahorn. Well, Johnny Dawkins got hurt. Ricky Green took over for Johnny Dawkins that year. Rick Mahorn, that was the bump and thump team. Barkley and Mahorn were bump and thump. Ricky Green took over for Johnny Dawkins. And Ron Anderson, if you look at the numbers, Ron Anderson played 28 minutes a game. He's like the only guy on the bench, off the bench that played at all. Like, at all. Nobody got any time. That was Jimmy Lyon. Good stuff. That's two Duke players you named, by the way. Uh, why is that significant? Like Dawkins and Jaminski. Yeah. Well, I was just remembering because I'm, I'm most... Should about... I mention that I also mentioned uh, an Auburn player, a Bradley player? Well, it's just there's two Duke players, not just one, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm finishing up the Coach K book, so... Oh, okay. How about, um, speaking of Coach K, how about... Um... <laughs> I'm completely blanked for a second here. Um, what's it called last night? Uh, Jay Wright retiring. That that surprised the heck out of me. I was like, where did this come from? Like, 
Like, what, did did it feel like he was? Like, was he thinking about this for a while? And maybe just like apparently, there's a report that he's been thinking about for like three weeks, and he's one of three active coaches. When you think about this, three active coaches, one of three with multiple national titles. That means that two of the final four coaches retired. One went out with a pomp and circumstance. Jay Wright mm-hmm. decided to say, you know what? I'm going to leave on my terms. You think maybe Jay knew that this might be his last year but didn't want the attention? Yeah, absolutely. Or if he didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to stick around for one more year so I get the attention. Right. Yeah. Maybe he looked at the Coach K thing and was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to go through the whole pomp and circumstance of every single game I play next year. I don't year. need a rocking chair as a gift when I go to every team. That's right. You know, since the Big East broke up 2013-2014, Villanova has won the Big East regular season or the Big East championship every single year. They won eight Big East regular titles. The only teams that have more, Jim Calhoun at um, UConn has 10 in Bayheim, who's somehow still hanging on at Syracuse. And perhaps the most impressive thing of all of it is that he never had a top 10 recruiting class. That's wild. Ever. Like that's that's got to be the craziest stat of all time right there. I think it's one of the craziest stories. Like, when you really put it into perspective, okay? When you really put this into perspective, Jay Wright put Villanova into the level of the Blue Bloods. Mm-hmm. Now, will it stay there? Kyle Neptune will take over. He was uh, on the staff there, and then he ended up going to Fordham, Fordham. I think. Yeah. And uh, he will. he's already been announced as the new head coach. Um, I'm curious to see the job he does because he wasn't at Fordham for long. So we don't really know much about like his style or anything. He's the fourth coach in Division I history to, uh, to leave a school after winning multiple titles in his last seven years as the head coach. He's the first to do so since John Wooden did this. I mean, he is on that level. He is college basketball. He is. I was shocked and stunned when I saw the news last night. First off, Shiel Kapadia was the first tweet that I saw, which made me like do a triple take of like, wait a second, what? How? Why is Shiel Kapadia not Shiel Kapadia? Sham Sharania. Oh, I was like, what? Why is an NBA guy breaking? You know, why is he tweeting this out? Right. You know, that's how big it was that Woj tweeted it out. Yep. Shams tweeted it out. Like that's the level, and I was literally shocked when I saw it. I at first wasn't sure it was real, Mike, because the first thing I saw was I got an alert from CBS Sports on my phone that said, sources say Jay Wright may retire. The next alert I got was a Woj tweet saying Jay Wright is retiring. So then I'm like, wait Yo, a minute, what is going on Then he was meeting here? with his team at 8 o'clock. Yeah. Was it right during the Sixers game? Gee, thanks. <laughs> Imagine being, imagine being a Villanova player and be like, Coach, you couldn't have waited until tomorrow. Uh, yeah, the voice of the Villanova Wildcats through this whole run, Ryan Fannin, will join me tomorrow. Uh, to kind of, you know, Jay Wright is thought of to be just a classy individual. He walked out with class. Um, I'm like, can't even put into words. Like, I'm so stunned the next day. And I'm not like some Villanova fan. No. I, I respect you know when you when I talk a lot about basically being a player who doesn't follow what everybody else does. Like I'm gonna I'm the best player, so I'm gonna go to North Carolina. I'm the best player, so I'm gonna go to Duke. 
being that player that says, I want to start something somewhere else. Jay Wright, maybe they don't have the player that said that, but he was the coach that said that and didn't leave. He was the coach. I We had this conversation all the time about all these coaches you hear about. Gene Holloway, I hope he's not, like, doesn't go down the same path. Um, Shaka Smart, Andy Enfield. I'm mentioning coaches that you heard about in the NCAA tournament. They made these runs in the tournament. Then they went and got hired by another school, and you never heard from them again. Porter right. Moser over at, uh, he was the guy at Loyola, Chicago. Yes. Well, I don't even know where he's coaching now. I had to look it up, but I know he went somewhere. Yeah, that's why he's not coaching at Loyola, Chicago anymore. No, but the fact there. that I don't know where he went is, I think he's is, at, a, uh, is a sign. I see he's at Alabama, Auburn, South Carolina. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Because we would have all guessed that. Oh, I was close to Alabama. No. Oklahoma. Same colors. No, my point is the fact that I don't even know where he went is the point that well, you're making. Well, the point I'm making is a lot of these guys, they get their opportunity to right. leave and they leave. And I get it. There's more money. There are bigger programs. There's more prestige. Jay Wright has had that choice, and he said, no, I'm going to make Villanova the place that people are going to want to come to, and not me leaving Villanova to go and run somewhere else. And That's something that I totally, totally love and respect. And look at all the players that he has sent to the NBA, too. It's not like he was just some coach who won college games with some average players. I mean... Up and down the league, you know, Jalen Brunson, Kyle Lowry, these are Bridges. Dukes. Bridges. Mikel uh, uh, Bridges and Suns, yeah. All right, back with final, a uh, couple final segments of the show. Sixers win, Phillies win, uh, Eagles stuff. Jay Wright, if you want to text in about any of that, hit me up, 609 403 0973. Now, back to the Sports Bash on 973. ESPN. All right, 534 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN on your Thursday night. Mike Gill with you. We've uh, covered a lot of the bases today. I do want to, you know, take a look at these NBA playoffs that are going on. You've got uh, the game that we've got tonight, Memphis and Minnesota here on 97.3 ESPN. I don't know what to think of that series. I thought Memphis was, uh, I, I feel like Memphis is a team that could represent the West in the Western Conference, and I don't want to say they're struggling along. They lost the game. The second game was hard fought. Uh, they ended up winning that game by like 15, pulled away. I think in the end, Memphis is the better team, but that, that series has been a lot of fun. You got that. You got the whole Booker thing being out now. Booker being out might be the biggest story of the whole playoffs right now. I would say it is the biggest story because everyone assumed that the Suns were the favorite coming out of the West. Without Booker, a lot of people said that, that that the Suns were the only team in the West that that could really win the championship. I don't know if I would have gone that far, but I definitely think that they were the prohibitive favorite. Now, without Booker, who is a guy you've mentioned, Mike, should be an MVP candidate. I think he should be the MVP. Over Embiid. Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, I go back to people are arguing between Embiid and Jokic, and they're trying to make the argument that Embiid's team was better. Mm-hmm. That's why he should win over Jokic. Right. Their numbers were identical. I mean, Embiid and Jokic's numbers were essentially the same. Embiid had 51 wins and Denver won 48 games. Right. Booker was better than both of them. Their team, his, he was on the best team in the league. 
But see, I'm not a fan of that measurement of the best team because. Well, I can understand if his if he. I agree with you. If you're the best team in the league and you don't have a candidate, you don't just say your best player is the MVP. They have a candidate. You're saying he's a candidate. He happens to be on the best team in the league, so he's not a candidate. He's the best player. To me, MVP has to do with if you took this player off the team. About to find out. You are. But I think they can still win this series without Booker. If you take Embiid off the Sixers, they may be a play-in team. Maybe. I'm not – but you could say, to you know, in Jokic's case, you took Murray and Porter Jr. off that team, and they right. still won 48 games. Now, you could say, well, Ben Simmons didn't play for half the season. Fine. Booker played a lot of games, by the way, without Chris Paul. Right. And they didn't lose any ground. Very true. So, to me, Booker, who averaged, what, 27 points a game? To me, the big thing about Booker is people don't realize he's actually a better defensive player people give him credit for. He goes out there and busts his tail a lot of times on defense. He, a lot of times, is looking at the other team's shooting guard or point guard, whatever you know, alignment they have, and says, no, give me that guy. Booker's not the best defensive player in the league. I'm not saying that. But he's a guy who's unafraid to play defense every time down the court. You know, some of these guys, they lollygag down the court. They treat defense as an opportunity to maybe catch their wind, right? Booker's like, no, nope, I'm playing end-to-end. Yeah, well, if he was going to win the MVP, it's not going to be because of that. I understand that, but that's one of my beefs with Jokic. I think Jokic, people have overrated him as a defender because people are so desperate to plead his case as a candidate. Well, the analytics say that he's a not a bad defensive player, that he's actually a good defensive player. Yeah, well, my eyes tell me that there's a lot of times defensively that he looks, frankly, lost. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, that's where the defense comes in, is that Embiid's a better defensive player than Jokic is, and I'm not arguing that either. I think Embiid is a more impactful defensive player. The analytics say that that's maybe not as accurate, that that, that Jokic is... A better defensive player in whatever statistics you want to grab for survey him. Survey says. I don't know what analytics for defense are the ones that stand out to people. But in terms of what the voters are looking at, they're not right. looking at defense. I know. Booker is right there with those guys in scoring. The team is significantly better in terms of wins. They won 60-plus games. Yep. You have the best player on the best team in the league. So this was like baseball, what was it, last year or the year, I think it was last year, where you were trying to find who the MVP was and you were taking a look at the teams that were the best teams in the league and they didn't really have a candidate. Right. You know, like I don't love giving Trout the MVP. It had to be two years ago because Trout was hurt last year. Trout didn't play a whole heck, but... Trout won the MVP, and his team is in, like, last place. And you're saying, well, how does he win the MVP? It might have been three years ago now because the one year was a shortened season. I'm pulling it up right now. Well, Shohei won it last year. Right. So it, the last time Trout won, the team was, like, 72 and 90. 2019. And you're looking around, and you're like, none of the teams that had first place, you know, finishes really had a MVP type of player. Your second-place finisher that year was Alex Bregman of the Astros. Third place was Marcus Simeon of the A's. 
In fourth place was that breakout year that DJ LeMayhew had. Is that 19? 2019, yep. Did Trout win it that year? That's the year. All right, so Trout won it. Right, and you're like, okay, well, the Yankees didn't really have a guy that was an MVP candidate. Tampa Bay certainly didn't. Uh, Minnesota didn't. You know. Breaking into the Astros was in second place that year. Right. Atlanta. Who won it in the National League? Because didn't Soto win it? When did Soto win it? Uh, That year, Bellinger won. The Dodgers. Well, when was the year that Soto won? Didn't he win it recently? No, Soto didn't win. So last year was Otani and Harper. The year before was Abreu and Freeman. Then it was Trout and Bellinger. Before that was Mookie Betts and Christian Yelich. Before that was Jose Altuve and Stanton. It was the Marlins. Before that was uh, Trout and Chris Bryant. And before that was Josh Donaldson and Bryce Harper. Mm. I thought I thought Soto had won it one year. He did get votes. I, th- I, don't, I think it might have been... Or maybe not- it was the fact that we were talking about that that team was last year because they were terrible last year. The Nationals. They came in last place last year. Yeah, Soto came in second place in the voting last year. Oh, it was Atani that won the MVP. Okay. The right, okay. right, 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 right. So now it's coming back to me because Soto was the other guy we were talking about. Who won the MVP in the National League? Last year? Yeah. Bryce Harper. Oh, jeez. Right. All right. So... You're all over the place these yeah, years. Yeah, you're right. Because now I'm, now it's rem- I'm remembering that because we were talking about should Soto win from a last place team. Right. And Otani won. And the conversation was Tampa Bay doesn't have a guy. Boston didn't have a guy. The White Sox didn't have anybody. The Yankees didn't have. None of the teams in the American League had a deserving had a player. Right. On the best teams. Like, for example, the second place finisher behind Otani last year was Vlad Jr., from they, another team that didn't make the playoffs. Right, but well, but they lost on the LeVion day of the season. That's why mm-hmm. they didn't make the playoffs. Atlanta last year won the division. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee won their division, and San Francisco won the division. Those three teams did not have MVP candidates. No, last year, here was your uh, voting. Harper had 17 first-place votes. Soto had six first-place votes. Tatis Jr. had two first-place votes. Those three players right there were from... A team that was 82 and 80, mm-hmm. 65 and 97, and 79 and 83. Brandon Crawford of the Giants had four first place votes. And then one first place vote with the Trey Turner. Remember, he got traded midseason for the Nats, the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this situation, just to bring it back to what we we're kind of talking about, got us knocked off the in baseball this year, you had MVPs from teams that were not even playoff teams. Right. Booker is the best player on the best team, and he's deserving. Like, if you're right. telling me, oh, he should be number three, well, he's the best player on the best team. Why would he be number three to two guys that are teams that are in the middle? Like, I'm not trying to hate on Embiid. I'd love to see him win it. But I, I'd vote for Booker. I'd vote for Giannis ahead of Embiid. I'm more comfortable giving it to Giannis than I am Booker, only because of the fact that I feel like that Suns team, we use the term built for the regular season. The talent they have, while they are a very good playoff team, that team was built to survive the regular season with guys like yeah, Bridges and you know, McGee, um, uh, JaVale McGee coming off the bench. and um, uh, Who's the backup point guard? I keep forgetting his name. Payne. 
Payne. Thank you, Cameron Payne. Like, they have a bunch of guys who are these really good regular season players. I mean, you could even throw in and make an argument if you want and say, well, why not Jason Tatum? They were the two seed in the East. He averages 27 points, eight rebounds, four and a half assists, a steal. I think you can make an argument for Tatum. I just... So I, my I point is at, that the whole, like, Embiid over Jokic shouldn't be the discussion. Mm-hmm. Embiid should win it over Jokic. I don't have a problem with that. I also don't have a problem. The, the two of them, to me, shouldn't be the top two candidates. Right. You're saying that Booker needs to be in that conversation. Booker, Tatum, Giannis. I don't know. You want to throw in John Moran? He was probably hurt too much. He was hurt too much. His team went 21 games without him. And they won a lot of games without him, right? That didn't help his cause. Yeah, he missed. Uh, I would say if you if you were going to like reseat, he the, played fifty seven games. I'd be a hypocrite though if I said he shouldn't win it. But the problem was because I think Embiid should have won when he only played. To me, Embiid should have won last year, and he didn't. They and were he, the number one seed. Well, also because I felt that they were, they basically, in my opinion, gave Jokic the award because he's the only guy who played all the games. To which I said. And B missed 10 games due to COVID. Yeah, that was so my you're point. penalizing him for COVID. That's what I'm making a point about Morant. But the problem with Morant is that gets shot down by the fact that the team won without Morant. Correct. 21 times. Which is nuts. Yeah. And B last year was the best player on the number one seed. Right. He should have won it last year. Correct. What was Denver last year? They were like the four seed, right? They were four or five. Let me double check. Like... That's where, to me, the whole thing is out of whack. You're voting for, you know, Jokic. This, Denver was a three-seed last year. Oh, they were a three-seed? Yeah. Oh, wow. They won 47 games. Philadelphia won 49. They were the one-seed. And remember, the season was, what, 72 games last year instead of um, 82. So last year, you're right. That was the year, and Beach should have won last year, and I would have no problem... I think Jokic would be my fourth pick this year, if not further down the list. Because I'd probably go with Booker, Giannis, Tatum, Embiid. Jokic would probably be fifth. My voting would go Embiid, Giannis, Booker, Tatum, Jokic. That would be my list. Okay. Yeah, Golden State doesn't have anybody. Um, Jordan Poole. <laughs> they didn't play it. I mean, he didn't I play know, it. Um, <laughs> Miami doesn't have anybody. Definitely not. DeRozan was in the conversation for a little while. DeRozan won them that game last night. He was awesome. All right, we'll close up the show coming up next here. Keith Pompey tonight at 620 here on the Sports Patch. Now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. To more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 5.52, getting ready to wrap up a Thursday show. We still have another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip, so don't go anywhere. You'll hear that sounder go off. Be caller 7. Another chance for you to qualify in a couple of moments here on the Sports Bash. So, 
We've got uh, Minnesota and Memphis tonight on 97.3 ESPN. That is the uh, uh, NBA playoff game. We've got Net Celtics game one was the most watched opening weekend NBA playoff game in 20 years. How about that? 20 years? Yeah. I would have not guessed that, but hey, man. You know, people are... uh there's a lot of juice online right now about these NBA playoffs. Well, you got, you know, the the Nets thing. You have a villain, you know, similar, seemingly a villain. People don't want to see teams put together like this and then prosper. Right. Yeah. Some people don't like Kevin Durant. Some people don't like. Durant's been terrible. He saves it after the game. He's like, I got to make adjustments, man. He's like, you know, I'm not playing good. Like, he no. owned up to it. He's not playing good. Uh, Kyrie wasn't great last night. Curry had one of his better games um, in a while. He's been hurt. He's been banged up. He got off to a good start the other day, and then he kind of came back down to earth. Right. I still feel like that series, I know, I know, I still feel like that series is going seven, though. I know Boston has won the two games, but they're supposed to win the two games at home. I think Brooklyn will take these two. They'll make the adjustments. And then it gets interesting when Simmons is back and see what how they use him. Not just how they use him, but how does he hold up? You know, is he a guy that can go out there for how many minutes, you know, how many minutes is reasonable to expect of him? At what point does he maybe run out of steam at first? Yeah, I, I do think that the Nets will win that series. I agree with you. Yeah, I, I Maybe I'm just kind of – I just don't see Kyrie and Durant losing in that first round. But I, I almost hope they do. If they do, Steve Nash gets fired. You think? Yep. That's a bold statement. I just think that they're going to want to find a scapegoat, and he is the easiest one. Fair. Well, guess what? You know, you know my feelings on the coach, but I do. You can't put a guy who's a complete novice, like they did. They, they, <laughs> well, you know, the whole story is, you know, they let the inmates run the asylum there, where you're just like, hey, we don't want a coach to tell us what to do. Well, last year they basically uh, Mike D'Antoni was like the shadow coach, basically. The reports were that he was running the offense, and part of the reason why Harden was unhappy with Nash was is that when D'Antoni lead, Nash tried to rip up the whole offense and do something else, and Harden's like, why are we changing something that worked? Well, they didn't want somebody to come in there to be hard-handed, heavy-handed, tell them what to do. The whole, you know, like So they had to go to Durant, go to Kyrie. They signed off on Nash being the coach. Right. Okay, great. But it's in the moments where, like, Last night, he's just so unprepared. Like, the players play. The players win the game. You know, but he's clueless out there half the time. He has no feel for how to manage a game. And he also allow. like, last night, Durant was 2-1-on-1. One one. It, was, it was ridiculous. Uh, Memphis, Minnesota tonight. I like Memphis uh, to win that series still. The game's in Minnesota tonight. This is going to be interesting. Uh, Dallas and Utah, I like Dallas to win that series. Golden State, Denver, I think Golden State ends up uh, winning that series as well. So that's tonight. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, Josh has Keith Pompey coming up tonight at 620. But first, it's our final chance for you to qualify during the sports bash. Caller 7, 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Hey, caller 7. You are entered for a chance to win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice. That includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, 
and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. You must be present to win at Slack Tie Brewing Company in Cape May Courthouse. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do four Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com. And food will be provided that day by Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Caller 7-609-573-3776. Caller 7. Good luck. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.